as a species, we don't tend to make the big monumental gestures very often. And even if we have all the money in the world, we end up not doing that for some reason. If we could build the Great Pyramid, why hasn't someone done that? Why hasn't some billionaire done it? Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Scott Onstott a little bit later. Shout out to T-Bone Shuffle. He's been looking forward to this one for a long time. I think he's been telling me to get Scott Onstott on since I first met him in the chats. And I, you know, to be honest, I didn't know who Scott Onstott was until I kind of connected the dots. And because uh, he doesn't really have a YouTube channel, so his videos are on everyone else's channel and Anyway, once I put two and two together, I was like, yeah, we got to get this guy on. Great chat. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, and uh, we got everybody's... Very spiritual, too. Everybody's favorite podcaster over here, Graham, original Graham America shirt, Dunlop. How's hey, it going, I'm surprised Actually, you still got one of those. that's not the original. That isn't the original? No, the original has oh. Sasquatch on the back. Like, Spelt like wrong? Saskatoon Squatch. S-A-S-K. Yeah. W-A-T-C-H. Yeah. No. S-A-S-K-Q. That's too bad. Man, when do we get those first shirts? Jeez, that was a long time ago. I was when we were still getting that local guy to make them. They were a good shirt, though, good quality. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, honestly, we would have still just kept going that route. We did a little, we could sell the shirts a little cheaper and stuff, too, but it's just. That a, was a lot of work, mailing oh, it out and all that. That total oh. pain. We're lo- I think we were losing money on shirts, depending yeah. on where you were mailing them. Yeah. So it was like a total crapshoot. On... If you're in Canada, two provinces over, you'd lose money. But if yeah. you're in the States, down in California, it's okay. We'd make two or three bucks. Yeah. If you don't count the gas or the trip to the post office, you'd make two bucks. Yeah. yeah. And if it was going to like... Or the $2 you, envelope you, that you got to spend. Yeah. If it was if going to the, the UK like or Australia, bucks. it was just like, forget it. That shirt No, actually, it was bucks. cheaper to go to Australia than across Canada. That's how crazy it is. UK was bad, too, for some reason. Yeah. The Commonwealth should all be free. Can we get that? Is yeah, that's a good idea. The five eyes. The Maybe just the five eyes, too. Well, that's the States, too. Yeah. Hmm. So how are you doing? I'm okay. Yeah. How are you? Not bad. Welcome back to the studio. Yeah. I, uh, I'm wearing my Grand America shirt, too. It's been a oh, while. Yeah, it's, good it's been a while. We that got the new you. streamer set up we're going to try tonight for the live stuff. See what goes on. I really like this shirt. It suits you. Being think so? an Indian and all. Yeah. Or what what's, uh, what should I call you? Whoa. <laughs> you can call me an Indian. It's okay. What What's 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 uh Technically? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd probably like Native that. Canadian? Yeah, I guess. Or like... Uh, uh, original people. Original. <laughs> <laughs> it was Aboriginal. I just like uh, Indian. Yeah. Should you get more of your type on the podcast? You know, my I can go get my status card on my thing says uh, uh, registered Indian. So they can be as politically correct as they want on the news, but my card still says registered Indian with my number. And that was pretty recent, right? Well, I'll go get it. You keep talking. I'll keep talking. So I just (laughs) no pressure. So uh, we're gonna have Bob on the intro. He's gonna join us in a few minutes. Yeah, that's fantastic. Wait till you guys uh, hear this. Bob is the he's interested in ancient history and alternative uh, ancient mysteries and alternative history and all kinds of stuff. He's a lawyer and he happens to be the owner of the cabin that we're traveling to in May. It's unbelievable. The synchronicities are just abound. The synchros around the trip are are unbelievable. They really are. 
uh, and they just keep getting bigger and bigger. Alan sent me another one today that was uh, pretty big. There's uh, there's also like, oh, I mean, we're getting we ended up getting some fantastic content out of these Monday night vestibules we're doing with Randall. I think I missed the last one, but I think Brandon Powell was there. Powell I was, was there, there for right? Brandon was just dropping down all the the Wim Hof bombs and all yeah. that. Was it Randall was awesome. there as well? Yeah, Randall was. Yeah. So Randall and Brandon. And Brandon's really interested in Randall's work, so it's a really oh, they're, good they're both really so. interested in each other's work. Yeah. We're gonna have Brandon on the show here soon, and then Brandon said he's gonna help us get Wim on the show here soon as well too. Um, so then, of course, that is we're talking about our trip here coming up. Um, so every Monday night, if you're a registered guest uh, to the trip, you get to join in. We do it's like a Monday night update. It's like an hour or two where we just answer any questions. It's and, like a big and Zoom meeting, like up. a big conference meeting, like a video conference meeting. Yeah, but Randall started coming to him, and Graham was there. Usually, Graham or I are there for a little while. Uh, Brandon was there. We got the the guys over at the Snake Brothers podcast. Brothers of the Serpent. Brothers of the Serpent. I think that's what it's called. Well, the Twitter says Snake Brothers. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Someone said they're better looking than us. Really? Yeah. You better start shaving then, buddy. I am Keep, shaved. Yeah, when you're clean shaven, you look pretty good. What? How dare you? You just look the same all the time. You're like bland, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> At least I change it up a little bit. So you see, it's this card says Indian on it about six times. Yeah, uh, and, and you just got that in 2018, right? Yeah, so. yeah. It's uh, 2018, December 13th, 2018. Valid until 2028. Are you allowed to have more white males on if you're an Indian? I don't know. Did you see that tweet? Did you leave that? <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's kind of why I was transitioning. We'll go to it. the social media. Should we go? Do to you want to do that? Yeah. Do you, well. We're going to talk more about the trip later with Bob, so we don't need to get into that too much right now. What we do need to get into is I'll continue my rant from last week where we talked about, uh, I've noticed that it's not only support that's hovering under 1%. It looks like reviews and sharing and newsletter subscriptions and all that stuff's hovering around 1%. So we got a real one less than 1% problem in Great America, and uh, I'd really like to fix that. You know, no more excuses. Go do all of those things, or as many as you can afford to do. So you should at least do four of those. So, you know, there should be a 1,000 reviews by, like, 420. By April 20th, I want a 1,000 fucking reviews. That's not a lot yeah, to no, ask. No, we could That's we could really get not there. a lot to ask. That's less than 10% of your review in the show. You, it shouldn't be a problem. That doesn't cost you any money. So do that. Share this show all over the place and sign up for the newsletter. I want 1,000 people sign up for the newsletter by April 20th. And I'll be happy for a little bit, and I'll quit bitching. <laughs> because I can't convince you guys to sign up for money. I can't. You know? I gave a rant last week. No new Well, support. we can keep trying. We yeah, keep we trying. Got we got it. Do we get any new supporters? Yeah, we got some. Oh, we got a new patron today, actually. Yeah. 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 Maybe we got to start naming these motherfuckers. Well, and we do have a black budget feed. That, that's our extra feed oh, well, that that's we what talk I was... about. And we're going to put some of the, those rounds. I side railed. We're going to dump. So I'm going to do a. I'm going to do a little highlight reel for the free feed. But I mean, we've got like I think the first, just the first chunk is like four hours long, and then there's still another chunk from before that's like four hours long. So I'm just going to dump it all into the black budget feed uh, over the next couple of weeks here. There's going to be hours and hours and hours. All the Randall you can handle in the black budget feed. Um, of course, you can enjoy the chat with Bob here a little bit later. And you guys just head over to slash support. All the options are there now. Stripe, Patreon, you can get to everywhere from the support page. And just sign up. 
sign up for a buck a month. Honestly, I won't even ask for five. Or I'll just just sign up for a buck a month, or or twelve bucks a year, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Anyway, I'm over it. Good. Oh. Okay. Good. Oh, I'm gonna play the jingle. I'm 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 unprepared for the jingle. This thing is freezing up. Ugh, it's gonna be a triggered kind of night. You know what I'm saying? Yep. At least there's only five hours to go. It's been a long night. I actually have a lot of social media content, but we're supposed to call Bob in like three minutes. Can you text Bob and tell him we'll be a couple minutes late or something like that, or how does that work? Yeah, you keep talking. Okay. I'll start off with some... Well, actually, I want to wait a couple minutes for my social media feedback that I have about Darren. What? I have some social media feedback. Is it from today? Uh, No. Oh. I blocked someone on Facebook today. Did you? Yeah. Just fucking... I didn't think you were on Facebook. I'm not usually. I went on there today, and I just seen a good guy was just made a bunch of comments. You know what? I think he got triggered by a flat Earth comment, and then he's oh, just going really? through a couple threads, just tearing up the place. So I just sort of blocked him. I don't have time for that shit. Um, I'm worried about all dick. the flat Earth. Like, oh, we should. I'm have... worried about the repercussions of the flat Earth episode. Okay, we got a thumbs up on the few minutes behind. Oh, yeah, we ne- we should have just stayed the fuck away from the flat earth. Honestly, we'll never recover. Ha! We got a good show, a good show, guys. Anyway, um, people are commenting on the test videos. So should I go specifically to the that one? No, let's just go through. So the, the flat earth comments just have not stopped. Really? Oh. I got, okay, let me start with one then. So this is it from Instagram because you can you can contact us on Instagram too. It's uh, this is from seventy seven seventeen Metal Daddyo. I couldn't even finish this one. It was super painful to listen to. I've never experienced that with one of your shows. <laughs> David and Darren were both unbelievably aggravating. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, thanks for the feedback. Oh. Nice. And then there's a couple like listening now, not open to it at all, but I want to hear Darren debate him. Huh. Here we got uh, from friend of the show, Blake Art. In my contention that consciousness generated from the observer, observer makes this dimension both round when measured and flat when it is in, when it is not observed. And that's why the creators put down the markers, pyramids, to help generate and stake out the physical realm through magnetism materializing through the ether. Oh boy. Do you want me to, uh, do you want me to address, I don't want to get into the mean comments. Do you want me to, address, our, <clears throat> want me to address the flat earth uh, thing with, with from, from our guest about the flat earth? Yes. I do have an email from him. Okay. So he's saying, Adam, I just listened to the show and I and now I do recall what happened. I do a lot of interviews and didn't recall which one this was. As the usual army of paid shills followed me to the live chat. Their main intent is to derail the conversation and feed false information. 
It's very effective and it sends new people down their gatekeeping half or their gatekeeping hallway. One of their scenarios is to promote Eric Dubai, 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 and claim I do not support him and then throw Wolfie6020 into the mix, who is a 100% full-time paid disinfo agent. Did you remember seeing Wolfie in there? Oh, yeah, I watched some Wolfie videos, yeah. Oh, oh, I see. Not in our chat, but from videos? Okay. Everything he has been put out there has been proven deceptive. Unfortunately, many new people take the bait and get and get gatekept in that realm. When I see that cut and paste comment in chat, I ban them. Not because I don't want to address the comment, but because it is normally a troll that is not interested in learning. I banned one of your listeners because <laughs> they were parroting that comment. I apologize. That's from D I T R H Dave, which is down in the rabbit hole or something like that. Deep in the rabbit hole, maybe. So, yeah, interesting. And I, I saw a bunch of uh, like flat earth psyop stuff, which is really people talking about the flat earth, but they call it a psyop as if it's supposed to be like reverse psychology or something like that. No, I would think a flat earth psyop would be somebody propagating the flat earth as a hoax, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we got I got a lot of comments on the Flat Earth episode. I can't even believe it. It's just it just goes on and on and on. Oh, there it is. Boys, I do not approve of that horrible thumbnail Flat Earth Society pick uh, art. I emailed you a better picture. And I was like, I don't approve of you deleting comments off my YouTube channel, so I guess we're even. <laughs> And he said, how can I delete comments on your channel? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. So then he, then he replied. So that email was in response to that then. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then yeah, Robot Punk comment, you asked to become a moderator, and when that happened, you had the ability to delete comments. People that frequently comment on Gramerica were deleted, and so that means they weren't trolls. They were just degree, disagreeing with Flat Earth. Having moderator access gave you the privilege of deleting messages you didn't agree with. And then Dave posted an interview with on another show. Oh. <laughs> a link to an interview on another show. And then he said, now listening back, I do remember this show. There was the usual team of trolls that follow me in the chats, and I did block them. It's possible someone got caught in the crossfire. Yeah, yeah. Slipped between the cracks. As I said in my email, I did look at the chat, and there were a ton of the usual trolls that follow me. It's quite possible one of your... Listeners followed their BS and paired it as a legitimate question, and I banned them. Unfortunately, it happens. Me asking to be a moderator on interviews is a new thing I started to trying to help to keep the conversation on track. I guess it's not a good idea. My apologies. No, I mean, it makes sense. Like, there was, a, there was an army of trolls that came. We noticed that. So it's not hard to see something happening like that. Slipping through the cracks and... One of our regular peeps <laughs> getting deleted. Deplatform. Just gets fucking shot down in the friendly fire. It's too bad. Um, Anyways, we learned as well that we probably shouldn't let our guests moderate. No, Especially definitely I, not. No, I mean, I mean, we learned we shouldn't have done the flat Earth episode. I mean, you just can't win. You can't win. You can't win. There's no winning. It's like politics. It's even worse than vaccines. I mean, there's some like, oh, you know, it, it, global warming. Oh, no, no, no. Like, we'll approach like global times warming, vaccines, all this stuff, but, but flat earth, oh, my God. There's like three negative comments on the Dell Big Tree episode, I think, if that. Wow. Maybe two. Wow. And the rest are all positive. Wow. The flat earth, there's fucking, 
60 positive and 60 negative. And then they just start in on each other. It really is something else. Uh, what do we got here today? Well, let's talk about the Twitter. I mean, Twitter let, one. we did a poll. We did a poll on the Facebook page. We've all had a few days to process episode 336 with David Weiss. That's <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I just... <laughs> <laughs> anything changed in your belief is it still a sphere is it flat is it something totally different comment with your views remember be respectful we're all on our own path to enlightenment one person's reality may be different from yours 94 votes 51 comments 94 percent say it's round 40 of the comments are from people who think it's flat huh. and that's just the thing that the thing that gets me about the flat earth people is they get really angry and start being like derogatory. Yeah. You know, like I got triggered in that episode cuz David started telling me to use my adult brain. Yeah. Because what was, I was he just saying I don't think he was saying that to you, was he? Yeah, he specifically? was specifically. Yeah, well, he was alluding to it because I was challenging him on the sun setting behind the mountains. He's like, "You never see the sunset." And I was like, "Well, I see the sunset quite a bit." <laughs> Like I, it's a, I make a point. Well, you live because you live in a spot. Some people like I can't see. Well, yeah, it a lot of people don't. But I live in a spot where I've you got can, an yeah. uninterrupted view all the way to the Rocky Mountains yeah. and yeah. fucking you know the city's in between there. But it's like you can't really see it. The mountains are too big, way behind it. So especially when the sun's setting. But they can, shouldn't even be visible from where you are. Because <laughs> they'd be so far down if the if the Earth was round. See, you're proving that the Earth is flat because you shouldn't be able to see those mountains way over there. 100 kilometers like 100 away. miles away, they should be 8 inches away. times 100 miles. They should be 800 inches. I guess that's not very far, right? They're pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're like, uh, what's Rogers Pass? 10,000 kilometers? 10, no, it's not that. Or 10, 10 kilometers above sea level? I don't no, know. No, 10 or 12,000 feet, maybe? Yeah, 10,000 feet, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Um, That's pretty high up. You should be able to see that shit. And I watch the sunset behind it and the moon. And then that's when he started telling me, or no, you know what? I think it was the plane thing. The plane thing. That the plane doesn't have to just, you know, it's turning a thousand miles an hour. How can the plane even go east? And anyway, I digress. Anyways, I'm done. Get, get to the tw Twitter comment. Is what Twitter comment? The one that you, one of our past guests came to your oh, rescue, right. actually. No, not to my rescue. I, I didn't need rescue, and I don't think. Let's see here. Yeah, yeah, that tweet. I forgot about that. The problem with Twitter is that we get uh, a lot of mentions. Shit. Maybe we shouldn't even talk about it. Yeah, it's probably best not to bring it up. Yeah. Or yeah. let's just summarize it. It was just about maybe we should get um, more... more females and <clears throat> and colored people on the show and i love y'all but can we get some more female guests or co-hosts of or co-hosts of color <laughs> or female co-hosts or people of color on the show from time to time a lot of comments bruce fenton jumped in there and went a little oh fuck. there was a lot of comments oh yeah um the first comment was Darren is of color. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good comment. <laughs> oh, that was perfect. <laughs> that was an accident. That was perfect. Though. Yeah, yeah, nice little slip up. 
Anyway, we should wrap this up. Get yeah. in with Bob. Jump in with Bob. We've got a special intro for you here. We've got Bob. He's a retired lawyer. And uh, believe this or not, our listeners are going to love this. He is interested in ancient mysteries like the pyramids of Egypt and synchronicities and alternative history. And and he's he's interested to the point where he's not just like, you know, reading and, li- and listening about it. He's actually got up in front of people and, and done lectures on it. And he's also the owner of the cabin that we happen to be renting for our trip with Randall Carlson in May. So, Bob, thanks for joining us on this uh, little special intro. My real pleasure. My pleasure. It's really going to be fun to have you people down in Pagosa Springs. Uh, you're going to find a special place waiting for you. It's uh, beyond description. That's and from what I understand you people are interested in, I, at least I think I know what you're interested in, it's going to be very conducive to your to your agenda. Sounds, uh, it definitely seems like it. I mean, it all kind of started, I guess, um, to get people sort of on page with some of the synchronicities that we've been going through over here or meaningful coincidences or whatever whatever people want to call them. Um, we actually do a little our, our gimmick on the show where we get everyone... Everyone mails them in, or emails them oh. in to Graham, and I do. I, I rate them, so I rate people's synchronicities. So, so we probably have a little fun oh, with great. that. Have a little fun with that later. So we get all sorts of just amazing synchronicities sent in all the time, uh, which is kind of one of the reasons this is so so special. Well, that's you know, it's. I don't think anything happens by accident. Just the fact that I'm talking to you here right now is I never would have predicted such a thing. I. I just listened to my wife talk to Alan Corsair. My wife does all of the renting of the Elk Lake Lodge, all the business aspects of it. And I'm just basically a gopher. I do what she asked me to do. But when I overheard the conversation, I started thinking, <laughs> this guy Alan's kind of interesting. <laughs> and it went from there. And somehow he and I connected. I either sent him a speech or something, and then we've been emailing back and forth. So I kind of count that as a a little bit of synchronicity all in itself. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe this is where I should, if, if you don't mind, maybe can I read that email from Alan about about his trip planning and this whole synchronicity, and then we can maybe get going Please. into some of Bob's. Darren, is that? Yeah, that's that a bit that of a long email. So this email is from Alan, <clears throat> who was organizing the trip, about the synchronicity part of it. So, And there's a bit of it about our show as well, so it's kind of going to be a little long, but I'll, I'll whip through it here. So, dear Darren and Graham, First and foremost, thank you for birthing Grimerica and raising such a fine offspring. I'm sure both of you are very proud, and I'm, I'm, I am to be a small part of Grimerica in my capacity as trip coordinator for contact at the cabin with Randall Carlson in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, this May. So he says, perhaps I'm biased, but there are so many ways Grimerica shines over other podcasts. It could be the guests, the banter, or the varied topics covers, such as synchronicities or ancient history. In my opinion, it's the correct blend of everything that makes Grimerica appealing. To that wonderful mix, I'd like to add one more synchronicity concerning another reason to adore Grimerica, contact at the cabin. As you know, in the beginning, Grimerica and I discussed the possibility of Randall Carlson attending contact at the cabin. And what Grimerica fans may not know is that during that discussion about CAC, many other trips were pondered as well. Randall was not the only guest to show interest in co-hosting a retreat. I won't give away who, but when we began to organize Pagosa Springs, we were also developing a a retreat to Bryce Canyon later in that year. 
Although the planning is yet to take off for Bryce Canyon due to the growth of Pagosa Springs, this event and its complexity, Bryce Canyon is still on the table, and for me, here's why. Bryce Canyon was heavy on my mind in a good way. Darren helped to set up communication with the guests involved, and the first days of planning were given over to Bryce rather than Pagosa Springs because of that communication. Literally, the first day I sat to my desk to start officially doing things on these trips, such as collect all my notes, set up folders and filing, generally get my head around all the particulars, and start making action notes, I got my mind blown. Grimerica has 333 shows now and is approaching six years of service and doesn't seem to be slowing down. So one can imagine if we really wanted to do a retreat with every possible guest, well, that would be an industry to that end or a dream, and I was all in. The problem was... Although I've organized many one-up events, an industry is different. I began realizing others may have done this type of thing, even though Grimerica's guest list may not fit into what one would consider a normal group, a tour group's attraction. So I would not expect a retired group of New Englanders with walkers to come running to a Superman event. Then again, I may have a walker one day and see it a little differently. Nevertheless, on that first sitting, I knew we were headed for something larger than a few outings with guests. I was going to have to do more research, not just for each trip, but to understand the market as well, or even if there was one. I began, somewhat reluctantly, to start a small paper notebook to always have in hand in case Apple or Gates fails me. I never kept a journal for more than a couple pages except as a university assignment, which is probably why I lose interest, but now was different. Since Grimerica has come into my life, I've run across a few personalities which I may have otherwise missed, such as Lynn McTaggart and her Power of Eight Intention Project. Intent work interests me because I think it's the same process as the placebo effect. So when I began my notebook, I thought it wise to use intent at the same time as I write down the basics. On the first page, line three, I wrote Bryce Canyon. The guest's name and phone number in conscious thought focused on the event happening, happening, It is important to remember that with intent work, it is not you making the reality, it is reality making you, but that's another story. As usual, after half a page, I felt I had done enough and stopped. I closed the notebook and turned my head to notice a post-it on the end of the desk, which my wife had put there. It was a reminder to check the mail as a package was coming and porch pirates were making the rounds. (laughs) I went to the mailbox immediately. Not much was there but a piece of junk mail addressed to the elderly woman who used to live here. She had stopped getting mail regularly, so it was an unexpected delivery. Standing by the side of the road, I found myself looking at a road scholar catalog titled Learning Adventures That Stand Out. It's a collection of educational travel possibilities across the planet. Not only was this exactly the kind of information I needed, but on the cover was a full bleed color image of Bryce Canyon. Pagosa Springs has not taken a back seat whatsoever. In fact, the synchronicities concerning CAC 19 are active, exceeding all expectations, and make the Road Scholar catalog seem like a coincidence. I live each day now in a shine, thanks to everyone involved. Please realize you are doing intention work when you think about the event. Everyone likes to say vibration, so right now I'm vibrating an ear-to-ear grin because of anticipation and vibes coming from every one of you. Thank you so much. Cheers, Alan. And that's a good one. Yeah, and that actually reminds me of of one of yours, 
because of a certain little aspect of it. Which one? I think, <laughs> I don't know if I sent you one. <laughs> I, I, whichever one it is, uh, I'd love to chat about it. So first of all, let's give Darren a chance to rate this thing, if he was listening. Yeah, I'm going to give it, well, I just, I'm pretty biased on this one. I got to be pretty biased because it's all like leaning towards. But I mean, that that one does pale in comparison to some of the ones that have come up lately. So it makes, that plays a, plays a role as well. I'm going to go ahead and give it a uh, 8.42. Hmm. Nice. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. So the one I was thinking about that I saw, you and I both talked about Bob's synchronicity that he got up and he shared it in front of a bunch of people, and it was pretty mind-blowing. Well, I was hoping we could do a rundown of it here. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So but I'm going to play Bob... a jingle first. Okay, so Bobby, Darren's going to play us a jingle, and then you can get into the one. Now, how do we describe which one we want to hear? It's the one where he, uh, let's say you get stuck. We'll, we'll, oh, we'll yeah. call it that one. I, I, yeah, the speeches, uh, uh, the talk, I, I gave it a title, and it's called Saved by the Bowl, B-O-W-L, That's Bowl. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, okay. so you want to hear about that? Yeah, Darren's going to play a jingle, and then, we'll, and then we'll hear it. Okay, play a jingle. I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities. <laughs> All over the web And Darren is skeptical about everyone And don't believe it yet Okay, it's all your Ricky spot. Nelson! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you, uh, yeah, the story of uh, Saved by the Bowl actually begins in a little gathering of people interested in psychic phenomena. Uh, this uh, It was in Denver, and I was fascinated with the Great Pyramid and UFOs and Atlantis and uh, several religions and everything you can imagine. I was off and running after an incident I had in 1976, which I'll tell you about later. But in any event, we went to this gentleman's house. It was a guy named Jack Young, and he had advertised in a continuing legal education for adults uh, magazine that he was offering a class in ESP. So I signed up for the class and went to, to uh, several of the classes, and we became sort of friends. He invited me and a few others over to his house one night, and while we were there, Jack shared with us what he called the bowl lesson. And I'll quickly give you the lesson. What he said was is that when people have a problem or something they want solved or help with, they, uh, they pray. And they pray a lot. The bigger the problem, the more people pray about the problem. And Jack went on to say that that's all wrong. He said, if you want to get any problem solved or help in any situation, he said, what you do is you get a piece of paper, a pen, you sit down, and you carefully write out in detail what he called a, a request, your petition, your prayer. 
And then he said, you get a bowl. It could be anything, a shoebox, any container. And you place your request in the bowl. And here's the important point that Jack stressed. He said, you never pray again on that subject. <laughs> that, he said, demonstrates a complete lack of faith because God heard your, or whatever it is, the universe, the source, creative mind, God, use whatever word you want, heard your request, actually, and knew about it before you said it. So why do you have to repeat it? He said, you place it once in the bowl and then forget about it. But every time that you think about the problem or whatever it is you need help with, you just remember it's in the bowl. It's being worked on. So that was the bowl lesson, in essence. Pray one and rely on it. And I think the bowl and the pen and the paper kind of creates an energy and a focal point. I, I'm not sure I know how or why it works. But when I heard that, I kind of was skeptical. And when Jack said, it's a method of prayer that never fails. I know in my mind, I said something like, yeah, right. <laughs> and I walked away and never thought about it. And again, really, for quite a long time, several months passed by. And then... I found myself in court in La Junta, Colorado, defending a death penalty case. And my partner and I were in the phase of the legal proceedings where we go to court before the trial to discuss legal issues. And I was kind of bored at the time because my partner was doing the law aspect of the case, and I was sitting there watching him do a great job. And I did what I so often do. I reached for my journal, and for some reason, a poem came out. It just kind of fell onto the pages. I hardly even paid attention to what I was writing. The words just fell out onto the page. And as I wrote the last word of this supposed poem, that didn't really make any sense to me. And as a matter of fact, I, I thought it was horrible. It's just one for the trash can. The judge called us up to the podium or the bench, and he said, gentlemen, I am going to grant your request. You do not need to be here for the next two days. You win. I'll see you in trial in two months. Courts adjourn. So there we were, uh, the other lawyer, Peter, and I, wondering what the heck are we going to do now? We're free. We have time on our hands. And Peter said to me, he said, I, I've got a girlfriend here in town, and I want to get her a Christmas bush, there being no trees in southeastern Colorado. So we decided that's a great idea. We got in his Volkswagen in our coat and tie, no warmth, no food, no nothing. We just drove south out of town for about 20 miles. And then we saw a two-lane road. You can't even call it a road, just basically two ruts headed off east into what's called the Comanche uh, uh, National Lands. So it's a BLM land. So we drove out on this two-rutted road. I remember driving past an abandoned farmhouse and thinking, man, this is the loneliest place that God ever created. We kept on driving. We were listening to music. I think it was the Grateful Dead blaring. <laughs> and just having a great time looking for a Christmas bush, which we never found. It got to be about late afternoon. The sun was going down, and we thought, well, let's turn around and go back. 
to your house. So we turned off the two ruts and got stuck. And I remember to this moment, I can still hear the wheels spinning. It was just made a high whining sound, and we were basically stucker than stuck. And I thought, well, this is not a good situation. Um, we better start hiking back to town. If we're lucky, we'll catch a ride uh, maybe before it gets too cold, and hopefully we'll be okay. But the temperature was plummeting. It was about 30 degrees. And we were shivering as we started walking, and I kind of got scared a little bit. We came to that abandoned farmhouse, and there were some wood lying on the ground. And I thought, this is great. We'll just take this wood back to the uh, car. We'll jack up the car. We'll place these planks of wood under the wheels, and we'll drive out. So we did. We hauled the wood back to the car, jacked up the car, put the wood under the wheels, and nothing. The wheels were spinning, and I was just horrified. We were now in dark. Just the sun was going just down out of the horizon. We were in real trouble. And for the first time, I think, that I can remember, I thought, wow, you know, we, we could die out here. And that's when I remembered uh, Jack's bowl lesson. Well, I didn't have a bowl, so I kind of in a panic state, I created one in my mind. And I, I verbally, or I mean mentally, wrote out a, a, a prayer, something like help. And I mentally placed it in the bowl. And I remember turning to Peter, and I tried to sound confident. And I said, Peter, I just got a strong feeling we're going to be okay. Something's going to happen. Just believe it. But in the meantime, let's start walking. Right then, not two minutes after that, we heard a noise. We looked up over the horizon, and coming from the east, down this rutted, two ruts in the desert, coming from nowhere, there was no town anywhere east of there, not till Kansas. All of a sudden, coming into view was a truck, and it drives up next to us, and not only is it a truck, it's a perfect standard oil tow truck. <laughs> And the driver gets out and says, hey, you boys need help? Yep. So they, he pulled us out. We were safe. And driving back to town, I started thinking about these words that I had written or that came through my pen uh, into my journal as I was bored at court. So I opened up my journal, and I wanted to see what I'd read. It, uh, written, it had something to do with a road. So here's the, the little poem. It, it says, a lonely road stretches through desert sand. There is trouble ahead. We need a helping hand. Our wheels keep spinning while music leads us on. What comes before us has already gone. Well, that got my attention. I thought, man, that just absolutely predicted what happened, and the bowl brought that truck. So I was pretty impressed. But I'm going to share something with you. I, I, I'm hoping that your listeners are open to some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, this one, I don't tell people much. Yeah, they'll be open. Because, yeah, people have a tendency to think that here, there's no way. But also at that time, I was an amateur filmmaker. That was a hobby. I was... I would film everything and edit it and put rock and roll music to it. It's kind of 
pre-MTV, actually, uh, before there was such a thing as rock and roll videos. I was filming everything. And I filmed driving down that road, headed east, out into the plains. I filmed getting the wheels spinning and getting stuck. And then I quit filming because I was panicked and we started walking. When we found the wood, I filmed hauling the planks of wood back to the car. I filmed jacking up the car, putting the wood under the wheels. I filmed it all. I filmed the tow truck coming to haul us out. And then I filmed us, I actually filmed Peter giving a victory sign. In those days, you you mailed your Super 8 film into Kodak, and they would mail it back in in a week or two. When the film came back, it was all there, getting stuck, hauling the wood back. But the next scene was Peter's victory sign. There was no truck on the film. To this day, I, I will not claim anything about that. I could have been a glitch in the film. Kodak might have screwed up. I don't know. But the fact that everything was on the film but our saving truck and the words that predicted what was going to happen and the utilization of the bowl, I put that whole incident in kind of a special category. <laughs> and I started thinking of it. At that moment, there really might be more to life than meets the eye. And I, I, I think I actually started believing that the, the supernatural was the natural, uh, just not understood. So that was that story uh, of synchronicity and coincidence and chance encounters. I, I like to talk about chance encounters uh, that can change a life. That was actually one of the, the more interesting ones. Oh yeah, that'll do it to you. I mean, that'll change it. <laughs> that's that's a great. Well, the thing is, even if it is something as benign as like they just lost that section of film, or just something happened and it got oh, yeah. cut out. Even if they, even if that's what happened, that it happened just at that moment with some truck you've manifested with a bowl in your head. No, and the last word of the poem talks about yeah. that. I mean, it's, it's yeah. The last phrase before sorry, the last us phrase, has, yeah. has already gone. Yeah, yeah, it's like okay, what is t- what is what is time? What is time? And is there such a thing as time? I mean, that whole incident just spurred incredible uh, thoughts in my mind. Uh, this... One of the things that I, I, I started thinking about when you asked me to do this podcast, and I started thinking about some of these synchronicities, another thought came to my mind, and that is how sometimes in life a, a, an offhand comment or a sentence that someone utters that maybe has no meaning or doesn't tie in or you don't really put a lot of stock into it can actually be incredibly impactful and change a life. And that was the case with me back in 1976. And I'd like to share with you, if it's all right, how this whole uh, esoteric metaphysical crazy search of mine began. Um, so we love I that. Go ahead yeah, we love that. that. Well, the, the year was 1975 or probably still no, 76. It had to be. And I was uh, the chief public defender in a place called Jefferson County, Colorado. But we hired a new lawyer. And up until that moment, I had never thought about anything other than trying to survive in a very difficult, stressful job being a criminal defense lawyer. 
and defending, you know, felons and robbers and rapists and murderers uh, literally every day. It, it was highly stressful. And I had three new children uh, in my first marriage, and that was stressing me out. So I didn't think about anything other than survival. The new lawyer I decided to take out to lunch, kind of a get-to-know-you session. And as we're driving to lunch, there was a real awkward silence. I didn't quite know how, what to say to him, and he obviously didn't know what to say to me. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, not related to anything, he said, I just read a book, or I just heard about a book, uh, called Pyramid Power by a guy named Patrick Flanagan, who claims that if you put an apple in a pyramid built on the dimensions of the Great Pyramid in Egypt, the apple won't rot. I looked at him and said, what? 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 And I kind of forgot about it. We, the conversation moved on to other things, but the words pyramid power, it was like a, a leaky faucet in the back of my mind, and it just kept dripping. Pyramid power. Pyramid power. So I went out and I found the book. I went to the only metaphysical bookstore in Colorado, found the book Pyramid Tower by Patrick Lanning. And I read it. And my life has never been the same since. <laughs> that got me started. I, I absolutely became obsessed with the Great Pyramid, which ended up reading everything I could find about that and Atlantis. I got into UFOs, like I said. I studied several religions. It just went on and on and on, and it hasn't stopped to this day. And I finally figured out that, the, in truth, I know nothing. <laughs> that, that, that's the end all of the whole search, is that I'm not going to ever figure this thing out, which is fine. And But that Patrick Flanagan thing really got me going. And then I'd like to fast forward about 40 years to about 2017, just a couple of years ago. I went to a, a dinner. My wife's brother built a house in Pagosa Springs, by the way. And he said, we're, uh, we're going to have a, a dinner to celebrate, and I'm inviting my builder, the guy who built my house. Okay, that's great. So we had dinner. and I'm not much of a socializer. I, I don't go to cocktail parties or anything like that. But I, I was having a conversation with this builder, and somehow, the subject of the Great Pyramid came up, and I cannot remember what started it. But he said something to me that made it sound like he knew something about the Great Pyramid. And he was holding his own with me in the conversation. I thought I'd do a lot, and he knew more than I did. <laughs> so I just thought I'd, I thought I'd test him to see if he was for real. And I said, hey, have you ever heard of a guy named Patrick Flanagan? And his jaw dropped, and he looked at me, and he said, well, Patrick and I are old friends. He said, as a matter of fact, I did my initial research in Egypt in 1973, I think it was, with Patrick Flanagan. We were all over that Great Pyramid together, and we've been friends ever since. So that really ignited the conversation. And then by the end of the evening, he looked at me, and he said, Bob, I'm going back to Egypt to research my third book on the Great Pyramid, and that's my jaw dropped there, and then he said, would you like to come with me? Wow. Well, yeah, and I'm thinking, I never even considered the possibility 
of going to Egypt and seeing the Great Pyramid. I had just crossed that off. It wasn't even on a bucket list. It was an impossibility. But out of the blue, I felt totally compelled to follow up on it, and I, I went. And that was the most incredible experience because I found myself with a, a guy named James uh, Ernest Brown, yep. who I think has he's actually been on your show. Yeah, we're familiar with it. We Davis. both love that book and the the whole electric yeah. electric Egyptian, Egyptian ele- theory. Yeah, ancient electric yeah. Egyptians. Yeah, yeah. And he's just got a new one out called "Fire in the Middle" about the pyramid, which uh, well, I don't agree back with on. everything he says, but. Uh, so I, I, I found myself with him, and because of who he knew, uh, specifically a lady named Julie Lohr, who was very well connected, I found myself in the Great Pyramid with James Ernest Brown and only three or four other people on the full moon, on the equinox, oh. and I found myself sitting in the king's chamber alone. Oh, my God. And I... Yeah, I said, oh, my God. And I remember thinking about Napoleon spending the night in the king's chamber. And he, according to all re- historical reports, he came out completely shaken and refused to talk about his experience, uh, even on his deathbed. So I'm sitting there in the king's chamber just absolutely with my mind blown. And I, I went back to the hotel that night and four poems came out, one after the other, just blasted out about the, the the king's chamber and the great pyramid. There's no way to describe the feeling that I had that when I was in there and the, the creativity that burst out of me. I've never experienced anything quite like it. So that in itself, uh, meeting James Ernest Brown and going to Egypt with him, I, I will put as one of the highlight experiences of, of my life without any doubt whatsoever. And I've had several other incredible, uh, which to me, incredible synchronicity experiences, uh, chance encounters, as they were. And I'm willing to share another one if you're interested. Absolutely. Yeah, and then, no, when you're, when you, then I'll, well, before we wrap up, I'll, I'll, I'll rate them all. Uh, the first one's over nine for sure. Oh, I'll, that's I'll tell pretty you good. That. There's yeah. not a lot of nines. There's only been a few nines in the in the show. And I, <laughs> but I do want to mention something too, just around the same subject. Is I remember when I first heard of Pyramid Power in the mid '90s or late '90s. Mm-hmm. I was at work in an aerospace company, and I was uh, sort of dealing with some. We were testing other people's engines at the time. And these guys from California came up and there was this guy with the old guy with a beard. And I don't even remember how we got talking about it because I was also reading some, some UFO books back then in the early mid nineties. And, uh, he brought, like he had pyramids and he had his shavers in the pyramids and we talked about pyramid power and I was like, that sort of stuck with me too. That was back like 20, 20 years ago now. I heard something about that. I remember that where if you put your razor blades yeah. in the pyramid, they would never go dull. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I went totally off on it. I I mean, my friends thought I was totally nuts. I mean, I, I had a you know a pyramid. I used to wear on my head sometimes just for fun, you know. <laughs> and here's a lawyer walking around with a pyramid on his head. You know, there were some people that were ready to wrap me up and shit me off, but uh, I I feel like now, uh, 50 years later, it ain't so crazy. No, and I, exactly. I think a lot of people are, are starting to figure this thing out or at least think about it. Um, Man, you yeah, can go in that, the pyramid. 
There, there's that pyramid in Sedona. There's a pyramid in Sedona that you sit in in one of those meditation shops. I mean, you can feel like you're buzzing with energy. There's a couple of crystals below you, and you're in this massive pyramid. Oh, and yeah, it's it's physically you can physically feel it. Well, text me the address. I'm on my way. Let's <laughs> yeah. let's let's, yeah. <laughs> let's get her done. Yeah. Well, while while we're on the subject of pyramids, I'll share this uh, uh, chance encounter with you. I, it was to me again rather stunning. The uh, actually two chance encounters and a coincidence that are connected. And this occurred uh, again, uh, being a, a lawyer. Uh, in Jefferson County, Colorado, a friend of mine happened to be the chief probation officer in the county, and he said to me, and I'll never forget it, I could still hear the words, and he said, Bob, I know you're only interested in crazy, weird stuff like the Great Pyramid, ha, 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 and I know you're the last thing from Catholic, but you need to check out Mother Cabrini Shrine. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to a Catholic shrine, but here again, uh, the leaky faucet got turned on. It was like drip, drip, drip. And I, one day early in the morning, before court, I just on a whim drove up to Mother Cabrini's shrine. It was a little convent uh, in a, a little valley about oh, 10 miles in the foothills, into the foothills west of Denver. And I drove past the convent. It was attached to some kind of building. I didn't really notice it because I was looking out the driver's side door at a huge statue of Christ, Jesus the Redeemer statue on top of a hill. And I thought, well, I'm going to do what all tourists do. I've got time. I'm going to walk up these steps. So I started hiking. And I got about halfway up, and of the 377 steps, I, I stopped on one of them, and I, I turned around and looked down at the convent, and I saw that the convent was attached not just to a building, but it was a pyramid. And I looked at it, and by God, it looked like the angles of the size were just like the Great Pyramid, 52 degrees. And I did a quick calculation looking east, north, south, and west, and I thought, my God, the side is facing absolutely true north, or at least what appears to be true north. And I audibly gasped out loud. I was shocked, and I said, it's a perfect pyramid. And I heard a voice. And I looked around, and the voice said, you noticed. <laughs> and there... On the ground, about 20 feet from me, I didn't see her at first, on her hands and knees was a, a, a nun, an elderly nun, hoeing in a small rose garden, weeding the garden. And I repeated it. I said, That's, that church is built, it looks to me like the, it's the Great Pyramid in Egypt. And her response was, yes, I know. I designed it. What? <laughs> it turns out that she was the head nun. Her name was Mother Camille. She had an engineering degree from the University of Chicago. And the most stunning aspect of this little conversation was the fact that she was way beyond, or at least in my opinion, beyond any uh, organized religion or dogma of a religion. She was fascinated by the Great Pyramid and other metaphysical and esoteric things. 
so we started talking and talking and talking. I ran out of time. I couldn't get up to the statute. I had to get to court. So I turned to leave, and I took a couple of steps down away from her, and I remember thinking, gosh, I'm probably never going to see her again, but this was a great experience. The next words I heard out of her mouth, again, changed my life, ultimately, in a big way, and impacted the lives of some others. And I had no way of knowing that she was ultimately going to be a great source of comfort to me through a divorce and the loss of my three kids for many years. And all she said was, Oh, she said, be sure to drink the holy water down by at the fountain. And I thought, holy water? Okay. Well, it turns out there was a fountain down below, and uh, I didn't have time to go see it. And I had to go to court. But she quickly told me as I left, she said, yeah, uh, in 1912, Sister Cabrini came from Italy to start an orphanage. And she rode her donkey with two other sisters up to the mountains. The sisters got thirsty. And Mother Cabrini said, move that rock. And a spring bubbled up. And that's the water you can still drink today. The, quote, holy one. So I, on a whim, again, that leaky faucet in the back of my mind, drip, 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 holy water, holy water. I, I went back again early in the morning. And I went to the water, I parked my car, got a cup of water, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, holy water, right. But hey, you never know. I'll I'll, I'll give it a a sip here. So I sat down and I opened my briefcase and I pulled out a little green pamphlet, a monogram, which I received once a month from an organization called the Rosicrucians. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with that organization or things like it. It's like the Masons, uh, ancient fraternity based in Egypt or started in Egypt, ostensibly. And I'm reading this pamphlet sent by the Rosicrucians. Well, the pamphlet is all about the rose, roses. They talked about why the rose is the symbol of the Rosicrucians. The pamphlet talked about aromatherapy, healing properties using the rose. It talked about meditation techniques using a rose petal as an image. So I was reading this pamphlet all about the rose, sipping my water all alone on a beautiful August morning. A car drove up and parked, and a lady got out and walked passed me to the fountain to get a drink of water. She was dressed in street clothes. I did not know she was a nun. When she parked her car, I put my pamphlet back into my briefcase. There is no way she could have seen it or know what I was reading. She sat down opposite from me, about 10 to 15 feet away on another bench, and we started talking. And the conversation was free and easy. It was just flowing along. I, I felt a great affinity uh, uh, to her. And she, all of a sudden, out of the blue, in the middle of a sentence, she stopped, looked at me, and said, I don't know why, but I have to give you something. 
she got up, walked to her car, opened the back door, and I watched her rummage around behind the back seat, uh, the, behind the front seat, the passenger side. And she came back holding something in her hand. I couldn't see what it was. So she walked up to me right in front of me and looked down at me and said, again, I don't know why, but I have to give you this. And then she said, in 1947, in Flushing Meadows, New York, there was a gathering of Catholics. And there was an apparition of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that appeared to all these Catholics. And by the way, I checked it out. This is an historical occasion. It really happened. As she went on to say that Mary, the mother of Jesus, blessed all of the roses in the rose garden. And this is one of the rose petals that Mary blessed. And she handed me, encased in plastic, <laughs> a rose petal. That, shall we say, blew my mind. It yeah. was because of that rose petal that I ended up going back to, mother, to see Mother Camille because I was excited to show her the rose petal. And that connection lasted for, oh, maybe 20 years. And I'm, I'll never forget her response when she looked at the rose petal. She just said, oh, another miracle at Mother Cabrini's shrine. And then she said, but of course, you know, everything's a miracle. And I thought, okay, everything's a miracle. I'll live with that. And my life went on. But like I said, she became an integral part of my life. Uh, counseled me through a divorce. She ended up actually saving an innocent man from going to prison. That's a whole nother story. But how do we rate the rose petal, boys? I'll give I know, them, it's unbelievable. I'll give it's, it's, it's the rose petal on nine point seven. Wow, it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> how, how does that even? How do you even like begin to explain that? Like it's it's magic. Yeah, it's magic. I don't think yeah. you can. Yeah. I and I haven't really tried to explain it. Uh, I've just accepted it as something that was like a, a major league tap on the shoulder from the universe, saying something like, "Hey, buddy, you know, hang in there. There's more than meets the eye." And uh, don't worry about a thing. That's what I took it as. I yeah. still have that rose petal. And it, by the way, when I come down, if I come down to Pagosa Springs, when you all are down there, I'm going to bring that rose petal. I, I taped it into that first journal. It was you know, by the very first time I ever wrote down coincidences and chance encounters. I actually made a note of it. And one of the things I found throughout the years is the more you write them down, the more they happen. The more you pay attention to them and give them some credence, the more they come. So it's now it's become a game in my life. Just coincidences, chance encounters. Uh, I just use it every day of my life. Just fun stuff. I'll just put it down as fun. So. That, that's, um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at here, too. You know, it's like. You know, we got our, our little chat room and stuff like that, but we've got another, you know, it's sort of a thing around our, our group of friends that whenever synchros start winding up, we start texting each other and explaining them and ribbing each other a little bit. But, um, I mean, we kind of take those here. Is, is that that's kind of a, a little sign that you're on the right path or you're you're doing the right thing or to stay the course or to dig right. in or whatever, you know, fill in the blank. 
But is that sort of your That's take on I him? Did. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're definitely hoping to I get you. We, I, Go ahead. Real no, I just say I, I just uh, I don't know what. Like I said, I it just reinforces the thought that I really don't know anything. I just you know bring it on, boys. I'm just whatever you got for me, I'm ready for, and I'm not going to try and figure it out. It's trying to figure it out will drive you nuts. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at too. It's just you just have you know, more questions in the end. Yeah, it's, it's and then. There seems yeah, to be these weird exactly. variations of them where some of them are like synchros and others are these weird little precognitive things. And, and, you know, it's, you know, your, your first one there was kind of a combination of both of those things, but yeah, yeah. There's, there's just, it's, it's unbelievable that it's just like, it's like riding the river, you know, riding the river. That's when you're riding the river and you're just going with the current is when you're noticing that sort of stuff. Well, that's where I'm at with you guys coming down to Pagosa. I mean, we really, my wife and I really debated whether we were going to have so many people come to our lodge. It didn't look like something we really wanted to do. It's uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of stress on, on the lodge. And But something just kept telling me, this this is something that ought to happen. Let's go for it. And so we decided to go for it <laughs> and have you all come down there. And so I think I am going to come down and say hello and see, see for myself what's going on. You know, in retirement, I can pretty much do whatever I choose and that's what I choose to do. So I'll probably more than likely see you in Pagosa Springs in the middle of May. We're looking forward to it. Like I said, we're hoping that we can get you down at, at least on the 24th for sure to maybe give a little talk and uh, talk about synchronicity and stuff like that and, and meet the, the great Randall Carlson and yeah, there's, I mean, some of the people coming for that last weekend, there's a, there's a ton of interesting people coming for that last weekend. Absolutely. Like, oh, I mean, fun. there's going to be interesting people there from beginning to end, but you know, we've got past guests coming to this thing and, and some other people and it's just, it's just been a, it's going to be a pretty amazing, amazing event. I mean, I think some of the highlights are going to be just the, just the little conversations that are happening off in the little corners, you know, the stuff that you can't really contextualize or you can't really plan for, or you can't really broadcast or anything like that. But it, that that's where the real life changing experiences tend to happen. And then lifelong friendships. Yeah. And just be able to talk to all these people about all the stuff we talk about on the show. Like everybody's very open to, to all kinds of stuff, which is not your average dinner party type conversation <laughs> or, you know, or, or people that, you know, at work, like this is different, right? This is like, there's a connection here that's, that goes pretty deep with, with everybody that listens to the show. So it'll be, it'll be fun. Well, when you get there, you're going to be in the most amazing, and I'll call it a spiritual place. I'm not sure I know exactly what that means, but to me, it's a very spiritual place. I get spiritual feelings uh, while I'm there. And another bit of synchronicity, Alan mentioned something about drumming. You guys are going to do some drumming, and or somebody's going to do some drumming. Uh, All of us. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to bring about. my wife's drum down and... Grandma's a drum, and well, we're going to drum. Oh, you don't? We've all been encouraged to bring drumming instruments if we have them. Because Randall used to drum when well, he was younger, and he hasn't done it in, in like a couple decades. So he wants to get back into drumming. So, well, I was given a native a drum made by Native Americans. I was uh, actually defending a Native American charge with vehicular homicide, and uh, the the chief of the of the Northern Cheyennes actually what they call him the Road Man a priest, so to speak. 
invited me to a, uh, I'll just go ahead and say it. I can say it now, uh, a, a peyote ceremony. And actually, I ended up doing four peyote ceremonies with these people. Fascinating experience, to say the least. But I was given, I have a drum, a beautiful drum. And I take it, I used to take it out on the on the balcony of the lodge. And you're looking out over 120 acres of rolling hills, which head up into the Winnemuch wilderness. So the, your, your backyard's 93 million pristine acres with not a soul in sight. With skies as as pure as you could get, and stars that look like they're sitting in uh, on your own forehead, and you do your drumming out there, and it reverberates through this valley. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to experience that. Uh, it, it'll be crazy. Well, and speaking of corners, like I said, there's 120 acres of all kinds of little private corners and places, and out of out of view, a uh, place to sit and meditate and uh, chat and share. Uh, <laughs> they're also on the land. There's an old cabin. It's in ruins now, uh, but it's it, the basic part of it is still there. And the the myth or the legend is that that cabin belongs to some cattle rustlers in the late 1800s, and and that was their hideout. So I think that kind of fits in with everything. You know, I hope you guys go up and walk around the cabin and get a feeling, whatever feeling you get, it'll be interesting. Well, and then the other thing was, I think you said you've, uh, you're, you're pretty into Stephen Greer stuff. Like Graham's like a fan. Oh boy. yeah. Graham's no, no, like no, no. a super fan boy. No, no. Steve Greer. Oh, come no, on. No. Come on. <laughs> well, what do you run? No, you run yeah, the local. I, I, Graham I, runs the local. Our I participate lo- in the local CE5 group. So we go out and. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we've had a lot of, a lot of pretty good sightings in the last uh, couple of years. So, so I'm looking forward to taking some well, people out on your property and getting a little circle and do oh, some meditations. And... Well, if I'm there when you do it, I'm going to beg you if I can sit in with oh, you. Oh yeah, of uh, course. It just sounds yeah. like, and we've had some, We've had sightings, nothing totally dramatic. I mean, orbs in the trees, streaking lights through the sky, uh, you know, kind of average, everyday garden variety uh, (laughs) sightings. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I'm ready for the landing, and if they want to take me with them, let's go. Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, it's going to be quite the event. And then we've got... um... We've got, we just, we've booked now for sure. Brown and Powell is going to be coming for the first two trimesters and he's going to be uh, teaching people the Wim Hof breathing method, which is supposed to be, you know, you can start to hold your breath for a real long time and you're supposed to be able to actually manipulate your body temperature and manipulate, uh, it's supposed to be super powerful for fighting off disease as well as um, mindfulness and having control over your adrenals and stuff like that. I don't. If you haven't looked anything, anything Wim Hof, just like type Wim Hof into Google, and I mean, you're just gonna go down a rabbit hole. I mean, you might as well just come for the whole week, Bob. You might as well just come on down. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what? I may come down. Yeah, I may come down at the beginning and say hello and see what's going on. And uh, again, at the end, I think I'm I'm not sure how many days you're going to be there, but I think I'm going to probably commute, go down and back, and then down and back. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. But I, I, the more I talk to you guys, the more I, I know I'm headed down to Pagosa Springs. 
Right on. That's Absolutely. good. Absolutely. Well, we can't wait. I mean, we're less than two months out. Yeah. Uh, there's not yeah. a lot of there's not a lot of tickets left. I want to say uh, I don't know for sure. I was looking at it the other day. We're down. There's uh, I, like the third weekend is gone. I think. Uh, well, just check out badcomet.com. That'll have all the links there. But I mean. Uh, you guys really don't want to wait. I know a lot of people wait to the last month to start buying tickets or wait till May to buy your ticket for this thing. I don't think that's a good idea on this one. Like, I would buy a <laughs> ticket now because, you know, we're selling a few a few a week or a few a day sometimes. I mean, you get a little rush. Randall's now booked on a couple more podcasts coming up next week. Um, so, I mean, get them while they're hot. Once they're gone, they're gone. We have hard numbers on this thing, and what? there won't be anything... Uh, there won't be any wiggle room. So once they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. Well, speaking of hot ones, once they find out that the, at least reputation-wise, the greatest hailing waters, hot springs on planet Earth are in Pagosa Springs. Wow. And, oh, yeah, uh, the Pagosa Springs healing waters are worldwide famous and it's the best healing waters you'll ever be in. And there's, there's two places you can actually three, you can enjoy the, the, the waters. Uh, one, a real fancy, uh, just recently renovated many pools on the river. You can actually get in the river and be cold and get into a, a hot tub or a, a carved out hot, hot pool. And there's like 10 to 12, maybe more different pools with different temperatures overlooking the river. I personally like to go across the street to the old, uh, funky hot springs uh, where some of the locals and natives uh, hang out. And that's where I like to go. It's just, uh, I just like funky. But in e- either way, uh, I hope your, your guests will at least some point in their state take advantage of the healing waters in Pagosa Springs. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they will. And, I mean, that whole Wim Hof method, too, is... It's uh, he he's called the Ice Man because he'll swim under the ice or he'll absorb himself in ice water. Like these are the people that'll have cold baths and and the breathing techniques help regulate your your body temperature and you know if you can breathe through all that stuff, it, it's so much easier to tolerate. So I'm sure people are going to be jumping in the cold pools and the hot springs and everything after doing some some breathing. I was out at the Nordic Spa like, a couple of weeks ago. It was just fucking amazing. They yeah. got the ice pools and then the steam room yeah. and then the ice pools and then the hot tub. Oh, wow. Well, that just sounds fantastic. Uh, I've been kind of a little, I have some trepidation about one subject that I'll just go ahead and tell you. You know, we have a 10-acre lake. It's right in the middle of the property. You can look down on it from the balcony of the lodge. It's real pretty. Yep. But there is no way that people are going to go into that lake. I mean, our liability is at a high level with, with uh, people going into the lake. And I'm just telling you right now, if you're going to do the hot water, cold water, uh, you're going to do it uh, either somewhere else or down in the river. At the, I think the hot springs would be the place yeah, to, exactly. to do yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah, we're not going to go in the lake. Yeah, yeah no, we'll yeah. make sure. Yeah. We'll make sure everyone <laughs> stays out of the lake for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. You made my day. We that don't want the liability <laughs> either. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like yeah. it might no, Hey, good thinking. Yeah. Good thinking. I mean, if the lawyer right. doesn't want the liability, then we definitely don't want the liability. <laughs> We're just a couple of Canadian podcasters here. Yeah. But I mean, hey. you know, this is just the first, this is your first, uh, we call them contact at the cabin. 
and we did one in Oregon last yeah. year, and we did one in Washington the year before. So, I mean, this is kind of the the evolution of that with Randall Carlson. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be – I mean, maybe we need to do one with James in Egypt one, Egypt one day. Yeah. I know yeah, we'll go with Randall great. searching for the Holy Grail. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Boy, this sounds great. Just so great. Well, I'm excited. I really am. You guys got me real excited about this. Right on, Bob. Well, we appreciate you giving us some time and telling us the stories and the synchros and coming on the show and, and telling us about the property a little bit. And uh, we're absolutely looking forward to meeting you in May. I, me too. All right. Okay, Bob. All right. Thanks, you Bob. You have a wonderful night. You too, guys. See okay. you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. There you have it. You know, we didn't even get into any of the... We, we didn't even mention we were talking to Scott Onstott after. Yeah, we but, did. Yeah. No, we didn't mention that to Bob, though. Oh, yeah. Because Bob's just getting into, like, learning about that's podcasts right. and YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Oh, YouTube's yeah. a little easier than podcasts. I mean, that Scott Onstott video. Yeah, we, now, yeah. now that he's got an, an iPhone, too, or a new f- smartphone, he yeah. can uh, get in there. I sent him the link for the podcast, so um, hopefully we'll get him listening to the show. But fantastic guy. Bob sounds amazing. We can I mean, the synchros are just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Bob's a synchro guy, and there's synchros around the show, and it's just, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, just the idea of not getting tickets to this motherfucker just seems like a terrible idea. It, it just seems like a bad idea. Uh, head over to badcomet.com. Running out of seats like a motherfucker. Get them today. At least put down a 50% deposit. We'll give you a couple weeks to pay the rest. Uh, but seriously, don't fuck this up. Uh, that being said, if you're a supporter of the show, we are giving away one ticket to a supporter. Uh, email adam at grimerica.com, A-D-A-M if at you're already a, If you're already a supporter. If you're already a supporter, or sign up as a supporter today and email adam at grimerica.com, and he'll put you on the list. Uh, there's a whack of names on there already, but hey, get on the list. There's also, you could also just sign up between now and then. Don't have to be a supporter now. Sign up. Put you on the list. And you can also buy a raffle for, we're doing another ticket where it's just a raffle draw, right? Yeah. It's going to be a campsite, a free camp spot in the second trimester. Um, we're just selling 30 tickets at 20 bucks a piece. Um, so if you're wondering why we're doing 30 at 20, it's because there's a bunch of fucking PayPal transfer fees, 30 of them. And then we got to transfer the money from there into over into the CAC account. So that's another fee. So that hundred bucks is going to eat up the fees probably. So that's five hundred bucks for the spot. Um, Thirty tickets sold. I think we've already sold six or eight of those. Um, basically, I mean, if we sell that thing out in the next two weeks, I'll raffle another one if there's time. But if uh, if it takes till the there till, probably won't be any left by then. Though. No, that's the thing. Is that's the thing. So I mean, uh, again, if you want to get in on the raffle. I mean, your best bet's to be on both, really, because your chances of winning the draw for a supporter are like... Probably going to be one in a hundred, maybe. Yeah, one in a hundred or so. Uh, your chance on the raffle, one in 30. I mean, you buy two or three of the things, your chances are one in 10. Yeah. 10% chance you're going to CAC for 60 bucks. Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. Can you believe it? Yeah. Do some intention, put that shit in the bowl, yeah. close the bowl. Yeah. Well, if you all do it. that, I don't know what's going to yeah, happen. We'll, we'll have to open up a fourth weekend or something. Yeah. Like <laughs> Who knows? That's it. <laughs> Fourth weekend with James Ernest Brown. Yeah. I mean, he's right next door. Yeah. We're gonna, we should actually bump into him when we're down there. We should email him, have him back James on the show. James is in Colorado? He's in Pagosa. No. Yeah. James Brown? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah. This cabin could be like the the yearly thing, really. I mean, I don't. I'd love to travel everywhere else, but it's like well, apparently that, there's just so much to do around that area. That, that could just be like the the uh, our main conference. Yeah. And then we have like the satellite conferences. Maybe we both don't go. Yeah. You can just go do your alien chasing. Yeah. And I'll go look at cool stuff, pyramids. Go for it. Yeah. Well, you do the ancient yeah. mysteries, and I'll do the. Sea city, sea city, and all over the place. Yeah. I'll eat mushrooms in the Great Pyramid, the King's Chamber, in the sarcophagus. I smoked dew on the Great Pyramid. Did you? How many people can say that? See this? Not yeah. many. Graham I went to the King's King's Chamber too. Did you go in there? Yeah. Wow. It was creepy, crazy. The legend wasn't quite as creepy as uh, Napoleon getting scared shitless out there, but I wasn't there all night by myself. Sleeping. Yeah, but I was in there by myself. You're about though. the same height as Napoleon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I probably could have fit right in that sarcophagus. <laughs> I think that motherfucker was full of seeds. I don't think it was. No. Yeah, well, that, later on, later on, somebody might have put up seeds in there, but that wasn't what it was built for. Anyway. See what James Brown has to say about that. I wonder we if will. the fire in the middle is about the pyramid. You know, we're watching, yeah, me and Lisa are re-watching Magical Egypt Series two? 1. Oh, yeah. Because we're going to watch Series 2 right yeah. away. We want to watch 1 again first, get it all fresh. It's great. But we're watching the one where it shows like the... The stream coming out of the erect penis, and then it's got like a little sperm swimming through it. And they're talking about the amount of magnification you need to see a sperm. Anyway, I don't know how that fits in with. What talking. about electrified sperm? Well, that's another. Thing. That's the James Brown stuff, the electrified sperm. That's right. Yeah, we should. Maybe that's we got to get in touch with it. him if he's got another book out. How do we get in touch with him the first time? Anyway, we'll talk about that later. You guys just worry about enjoying the chat with Scott Onstott. It's a great one. Uh, check out his YouTube or his website. I don't know what it is, but it's in the show notes. Yeah, it's all in the show notes. It's yeah. a great chat. 33, yeah. baby. Yeah. All about 33. Enjoy. We've got Scott Onstott with us tonight. He was the creator of this uh, brilliant movie. It's like three, almost four hours long, Secrets in Plain Sight from almost 10 years ago now. And he's also got a sacred geometry course going, and we're talking to him. He's in uh, on Vancouver Island, and we're in Alberta. So it's, uh, it's a Canadian one tonight. Thanks for joining us, Scott. How's it going? Going good. Thanks for having me. No problem. You know who's stoked? I got to give a shout out to T-Bone. T-Bone Shuffle in the chats, grandamerica.ca slash chats. He is over the moon looking forward to this. He said he's been, since he started listening to Grand America, he's been hoping that we would have Scott on. Oh, that's great. 
Well, it's great. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Yeah, like we were saying before we started recording, most of our, our listeners are familiar with sacred geometry, and we've talked to guys like Randall Carlson about it, and, and uh, it's a pretty mind-blowing topic on its own. And, and you're, we're also talking about how your Secrets in Plain Sight movie was kind of, you know, it's become part of the culture now with this, this uh, symbolism across the world and the sacred geometry and architecture, and it's just it's a real mind-blowing movie, and the feedback has just been astronomically good you know and i think what people really liked about it is you weren't having to get into the the conspiracy of it or the who and the why you just put out all the information in a nice simple concise manner for everybody to understand how mind-blowing all these patterns are so thank you for that yeah i didn't feel like i needed to draw my own conclusion about what it all meant i left it open for the viewers of the of the movie to come to their own conclusions about the causality of these patterns, you know, and I think that was a good approach because it includes everybody's different worldviews in that. Exactly. And so you have fans that are scientists to religious fundamentalists and everywhere in between. Did you, when you were making it, did you kind of, cause I mean, this thing's a, this thing's a hit. I mean, you know, I was looking today and I was like, it's got, it's got six, over 6 million views just on the one channel. And I mean, it's on like, it's been copied and replayed on a bunch of other channels and they've got a few hundred thousand views on all of them. Yeah. So, I mean, a few years ago, like in 2017, I tallied it up and it was about 10 million at that point. So it's, it's more than that now. Um, but what's, what's amazing is that it's almost four hours long and there's not that many videos that, uh, that people like watch many times that are that long. You know, a lot of the, the big fans of the show have seen it 10 times or more. Yeah. So how did it all start? Well, it started just reading a lot of books. And um, what the catalyst for it all was uh, just a conversation I had with this intuitive uh, woman, uh, Marsha Schaefer, back in 2009. And she, she um, got in contact with my higher self. And she was telling me things about, about me that I thought were very accurate. And, and she said, you're going to be making a movie. <laughs> And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've never made a movie. I, I make instructional videos, you know, but not movies. And, and I said, well, what, what's it going to be about? And she said, well, that's for you to figure out. But it's really important that you do it. And so I took that advice to heart. And I spent about two weeks coming up with the whole script. It kind of poured out of me, you know, like all, all at once. It was like a download in a wow. way. And then um, it took me the whole year to uh, put it all together, get all the images. And, um, you know, they're all like Creative Commons licenses or public domain images. And um, I didn't spend any money on it at all. It was just all my time, you know. And I did spend a whole year putting that film together. But it was a, it was a labor of love. And, um, you know, millions of people have seen it around the world. And, a number of people have said it's really changed their life and their worldview for the better. And it's, it's opened them up to new possibilities. And uh, so I feel really grateful that I've been able to positively influence a lot of people's lives. And it's brought me a lot of friendship um, and connection with interesting people all around the world. So it was a great, great thing to do. You know, it wasn't a big moneymaker, but um, that, that's not why I did it. 
Yeah, well, it might end up working out long term for you. I mean, this is this is a, we talked about it being part of the culture. Now we we started this podcast almost six years ago, and your your movie was out years and years before that. And it's it's just now it's like a staple of the the type of thing you see a whole bunch of people doing it. Whether it's ancient aliens or some of the other people that are connecting these dots between different cultures over the years. So it really is. Uh, important work. I mean, maybe for context for people, we should talk about some of the, maybe your favorite aspects of that or some favorite connections that you made or some real, and then I got a couple questions about that and then we can get more into some of your more current stuff in your course on sacred geometry that you also have. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the things that really stood out for me when I was analyzing uh, cities and architecture around the world was geometry and how some of the most interesting and powerful complexes in major cities in the world are based on simple geometries that are very compelling. And, and some people call this whole area of study sacred geometry because the geometry is so fundamental. And when you start to understand its significance, a natural feeling of sacredness arises out of these patterns. And so for me, the, the long lasting um, take-home message of secrets in plain sight was sacred geometry is really important. And so that's where I've been focusing my efforts more recently in creating a sacred geometry courses and uh, doing workshops where I, I guide uh, up to 33 participants in, in a weekend workshop where we go deeply into sacred geometry and we we draw a bunch of things on one day and on another day we make a group project together that's really very moving and a beautiful experience. Oh, that's fantastic. Of course, 33 participants. Well, we should talk <laughs> about that for sure. I mean, that's, again, your movie was probably one of the ones that brought 33 to light to a lot of people as well. I mean, you reference it over and over in there and the amount of, like, I can't believe all the, all the stuff you pulled out, whether it's part of the U.S. flag or whether it's part of architecture of a building like 33 is always and now it's part of around. pop culture which is the problem so now it's going to get greasy yeah because now you hear it in the media and you're always wondering you know this is it's a sign that something is uh is afoot when you hear like well i, I just read it today i was reading an article about the scandal with u.s uh, universities and how parents yeah. have been bribing their way to have their children go to the universities. And in the big lo biggest lawsuit ever against this kind of thing, uh, there were 33 <laughs> people. Uh, and I just thought, why does it have to be 33, you know? Exactly. Because <laughs> they're saying, they're saying something that like, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bell that rings for somebody to know that that's part of some sort of agenda. And that's the way I kind of look at it. I think well, it's I just it like it's even deeper than than the agenda. The agendas certainly are are operative and do happen, but it's part of the universe. You know, we have thirty three bones in the spinal column, and there's you know thirty three octaves from the Earth's resonant frequency to middle C, and there's just a lot of examples of these things. Like Mach thirty three is escape velocity. You have to go Mach thirty three to leave the Earth. You know, so. That's 33 times the speed of sound. And um, there's no so, way we knew that. Well, there's no way that. I was going to say, like, how can that, how could they have done that? But there's no way. How do you make it so that escaping the Earth's velocity is the same as. Nobody makes it. That's what he's saying. No, like, there's well, so, that's so many what, natural. You know, and natural. I got to say, it was during your documentary 
that it clicked for me. And I don't even know that it clicked because I'm just a fucking idiot. But I think it clicked. And it's when you were lining up, I th- what is it, the latitude of the Great Pyramid and the speed of light? Yeah, yeah. That's a really amazing one. Can you? And can- since I made that, you know, in 2009 or 10 when I did that research, the data has gotten more accurate, you know, that you can get in Google Earth, for example, on the position. Right. It's right on the freaking money right there wow. on the top of the pyramid. Before, I think in the, mo- in the video, I said it was like within 50 meters or something like that, but yeah. it's right on. Speed of light. The speed of light in meters? Yeah. What's interesting is, is the metric system is implicated in this. And um, I found parallels with the metric system in the Great Pyramid. And obviously, the, we know the metric system wasn't invented until, let's say, 1800. So how is it that it could be encoded in a structure that's clearly thousands of years old? And I think that, um, well, the answer is the metric system is based on the geometry of the Earth. And we, we know that's true. In, in 1800, they based it on the, uh, the meridian circumference of the Earth. And they divided that into 40,000 parts, and they called those uh, kilometers. Oh, wow. And then uh, in the ancient times, they must have done something similar. They must have measured the Earth very accurately. Yeah, but... And devised a measurement system based on it. But then they, not only that, they got to pick the same start point to line up that latitude. Well, the, the equator... Or it's the equator, yeah, I guess. So yeah, everyone would pick that... That's a natural uh, feature. So know, yeah, at least, and you have to be able to dis- distinguish where that is. Yeah, you have to figure that out based on detailed knowledge of the whole Earth, which um, goes against our understanding of what ancient Egypt was all about and what yeah. they knew. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. when I seen yeah. yeah, when I seen those two numbers on the screen, that was like. That was like when it hammered home and I was like, it's all simulation, man. I was like, that's not the Illuminati. That's not anyone trying to, that's just the machine just is coming up with some numbers and it's like, yeah, no one's going to notice this. And then Scott Onstock comes along and breaks it. Well, I wasn't the one to discover that. Um, and actually I'm not sure who did. I, it's in my film. I do mention the person, but, um, um, a lot of my film is, is, um, just researching what knowledge is out there and then presenting that to you yeah. and giving credit where credit is due. Yeah. Um, so some people think, Oh, I'm the one who discovered a lot of these things. And, and sometimes it's true. I, I do have unique discoveries, but many times I'm just reporting on what's already been figured out by other people in the past. Yeah. So how do you think it, it, do you, what do you think about do you think it's like how does that 33 come up all the time like is i don't know how else could it be if it's not it's either like because it's a computer well there's a couple of things um i've seen so many examples of, of these numbers and patterns appearing where they really shouldn't seemingly with our current understanding appear but i think it exposes the mathematical nature of the universe is entirely mathematical. And that gets into what your comment about a simulation being a possibility. But also, I thought deeply about what mathematics is. You know, it's a, it's a language, right? It's, it, in fact, it's the universal language because um, 
it transcends culture. There's only one math. There's not a Chinese math and a totally separate American math. It's all one math. Even if you were on another planet, presumably you would come up with the same mathematical ideas. But of course, you would express them with different symbols. But that, that doesn't matter. You know, languages have different letters and, and you know, different words, but we all get to the same meaning behind it. But um, basically, the universe is entirely mathematical. But mathematics is always, you have to remember, it's just a language. And languages are completely empty without consciousness. Language, when you find a language, it's always an artifact of consciousness, right? Like, you don't just put Spanish in a bucket yeah. and stir it up. There's no understanding there without consciousness yeah. to parse the language. So what that hints at is that the universe is actually intelligently designed operating system of mathematics, but yeah. it's running in the mind of consciousness, you know, yeah. behind everything. You can't get behind that. In fact, one of the founders of quantum physics, Max Planck, said you can't get behind consciousness. Everything we know presupposes consciousness. And so it's we've you know these figures in quantum physics have kind of known this for about a hundred years now, but our our culture hasn't really caught up to this understanding. We still think that that we're just uh, you know that, that that consciousness isn't what what's underlying it all. We still think that it's really just based on matter on these things yeah, that exist. that our brain generates it. Yeah, but the things don't really exist. When we look deeply into the things, we see that they're really just mathematical representations, right? When we look at deeply into a, a, a proton or a quark or something, the only qualities it has are mathematical. Yeah. It doesn't have any other qualities. It doesn't have any other characteristics than numbers. So um, hmm. anyway, that's what my research comes boils down to is the primacy of number uh, representing the universe in all of its myriad forms and how geometry is number in space. Well, and so it's, it's, very, it's very fundamental. That's kind of what I was thinking, is that uh, that number 33 coming up all the time and things like that kind of fit in with the, you know, the patterning you see in, in sacred geometry. It's like the pattern of it's um, it's the numerical representation of the patterns that you're seeing in the in in the universe's geometry. It would make sense that the underlying, you know, the uh, the data would be numbers. I guess. Yeah, and like the re you know the Scottish Rite Freemasonry has thirty three degrees, as I'm sure you are aware. Yeah, but um, that just tells me that the people who've formulated that whole system understood something deeply about the universe and the importance of this pattern of 33 representing the whole nine yards it represents the the full spectrum you know yeah so, I, th I think the I was the, the one aspect that you guys talked about where the, the pyramid latitude with the speed of light or whatever is kind of a natural phenomenon in a way maybe or, but there's a lot of things you put together where it's, what? it's cultures that you wouldn't think are tied together or organizations that you wouldn't think are tied together that are making, 
things line up over continents a uh, long time ago, whether it's from, you know, England to France or whether it's uh, farther across the globe. So there, are, there is some intentional builders building stuff uh, in these patterns, which is, which is more, it's almost more mind-blowing to me that that was going on back then. Well, like, for example, the Great Pyramid um, is located in a very singularly important place in the world. And um, if, if you look at the longest distance on land that you can draw, uh, and so I was playing around in Google Earth and, tr you know, drawing a line and seeing the longest continuous line I can draw. Straight line? And it turns out it has to go through... Uh, the Sinai, basically, it has to go through that narrow land bridge there yeah. because it connects Western Africa with East Asia, and that's that's for sure the longest route. And if you play around with the endpoints, get it as long as possible, and then Giza happens to be at the golden ratio on that line. <laughs> so that that to me says that uh, whoever put that there understood the Earth as a whole, you know. And they saw this, well, what would be the most interesting place to put this monument? And, and so they had this, this knowledge that we've only attained, um, reattained, or, you know, recently with GPS satellites. And it's become publicly available through Google Earth about, whatever, 10 years ago or something. So it's really not been out that long, but now we're just catching up with this ancient knowledge that was there far before the civilization of ancient Egypt as we know it. I think what it points to, and it's what other researchers have found, is that the story of Atlantis may have a real seed of truth to it, that our, our human civilization may have been very advanced in the distant past. And then there was a cataclysm that wiped out that, that civilization out, and most everything was lost. And the Great Pyramid happens to be one of the artifacts from that prior age. Well, some um, people think it was designed for that very purpose. I mean, other people think it's a machine and things like that, but I mean, I mean, part of me thinks that those, those sarcophaguses were filled with seeds and shit and the Egyptians just found them. Yeah. I mean, who knows the, what the, the literal truth of it is in terms of the purpose of the great pyramid. I think it's multi multi-dimensional purpose. You know, it could have been a machine. It certainly has those hallmarks. Could have been a vehicle for conscious ascension. That, yeah, been, yeah, that's what I think. Could have been just like a time capsule uh, encoding all this mathematical knowledge. Yeah. Um, I think that once you do start to understand how everything works on a deeper level, it's just a natural impulse to try to monumentalize that in some way, try to encode that in some way. And whether or not you're concerned with catastrophe potentially befalling civilization, it's just a natural impulse to encode that in your designs. You know, when you understand the importance of the golden ratio, then you want to use it in your designs. It's just inescapable, you know? Yeah. And there's other things, not to stay on the pyramids for too long, but there's other things that you talk about, um, I think, that match the circumference of the globe maybe or there's other size factors with the pyramids as well i think isn't there yeah the the pyramid itself is like a scale model of the earth yeah. in one to forty three thousand two hundred scale right and so it 
that's one of the things that has going for it. Is that the whole plateau? No, it's just it's just the pyramid itself, the base perimeter. Oh, I see. Okay. If you if you measure that, that would be equivalent to the circumference of the Earth if you scale it up by that factor. And that and, factor is sacred in its own, that 432. Yeah, and then the height of the pyramid would also be uh, the distance from the, the center of the Earth to the North Pole. <laughs> so, um, Jeez. It, it's amazing. And it, this knowledge was just so comprehensively encoded in this monument. I don't think that if you were asked to encode a bunch of things in an object, you would even be able to. It, it's, it, it shows an intelligence level that's, that's beyond what we typically have today. Yeah, I don't think we could pull it off today. Even I don't even think we could just build the pyramid, let alone line it up with a bunch of stuff. I mean, I work construction, so I mean, I, I see firsthand, the, you know, and I'm just doing commercial. It's not super high-end, but, you know, you, 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 there's no way we're pulling off a pyramid. Well, you know, you have you have to. Um, normally, when you build construction, you might you know get the the whole building down to within an inch, or maybe a half an inch, maybe if you're lucky. Um, but you're not going to get super accurate unless you need to, right? And accuracy costs money. So why would you build a pyramid so accurately? It would be insane to do that, especially with the story that, you know, they made, they shaped the blocks with copper balls. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So, and that makes me think of the contemporary architecture that we have now. I mean, it seems like the way cities are planned and developed, there's no, you know, sacred thought at all. Like, is it, do you... Except Washington. It seems this, well, that, I wouldn't even, I'd consider that more older. I'm talking about, like, let's say the way Calgary or Dallas is sprawling out with these yeah, little communities sure that are made, happen. like, they it just, just feels like... Without a plan. Yeah. And it's a nightmare. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. But, um like cities like Paris and DC and, you know, were Bundy, very yeah, carefully yeah. planned or redeveloped at certain points. And yeah. um, so they, they do encode all this amazing stuff. And like the city of Astana in Kazakhstan is a new city sort of built out of, well, there was something there before, but much of the city was built from nothing. And uh, so there's a lot of interesting geometry and, and things there. Huh. And, there aren't that many opportunities for people to build whole cities uh, from nothing. You know, um, there, there are a few examples, Brasilia, uh, Canberra, um, these cities were built out of nothing. And so they, yes, they encode all these incredible things. Um, well, when, when were but, those built though? When would they be encoding these? Like, is it like the last couple decades or are you talking a hundred or 200 years uh, well, I think it was in the 1950s that Brasilia was made. Yeah. I don't know about Canberra. I yeah. think it was recently as well. Yeah. Um, Paris, of course, was redone, and those those straight boulevards were cut through a medieval fabric of the city. Yeah. And um, you know the kind of Baroque uh, thing that happened then, but we can't do that now. It would never happen. You know. Can you imagine? Like, sorry, you got to get all your houses are condemned and we're just yeah. going to put a road here. Yeah, exactly. We want to make it sacred. They're doing that like on the U.S. border, I think, with Texas and Mexico. 
um, they're saying um, because of the of Trump's wall, they want they're just eminent domaining a bunch of farms and stuff, and just saying this is ours now. Sorry, and of course it doesn't make people happy because they lose their property. Yeah. I think, what do you get? You get market value. We had a huge thing in Calgary here just a few years ago when they built that, the new Glenmore Trail extension there. There's a bunch of people that were holding out. They were like, no, no, we ain't moving. It was, it lasted for a few years. And finally the government was just like, no, sorry, you're in the way of progress. Now you know how the Indians felt. I saw a picture in China where there's this one guy who held out and wouldn't sell his house and they built the freeway around it. And his house is in the middle of the freeway. (laughs) See, that's not, that's not bad. That's not, I want, I want to be that holdout. Yeah. Now I'll take the buyout when they're still offering the money and I'll move away as far away from that fucking city as I can. But why do they design it with that much intention behind it? Is it because it holds a, a power or, or a magic to it? I mean, there's sim, it's symbolism. It's, it's sacred for their own, their own purposes in a way. Like I, I can't, help thinking well, it would be just I for like that, architectural purposes. Yeah, these designs do have a power in the sense that they, they align with the geometry of the universe. And so they, they're very resonant with uh, as above, so below. And so when you design your structures and our individual arch- pieces of architecture and let alone whole cities resonating with these principles, then you're, you're setting yourself up, to have this kind of powerful as above, so below thing happen. And then, um, I don't know, like today we, we tend to measure power in like volts or dollars, but power can also just be in, in sense of harmony with the universe. Yeah. We don't really have a, a number for that. But I think that there's a, a benefit to be reaped when you work with nature rather than against it. And that might not be quantifiable as such, but it, it, it's just a beautiful thing. Maybe we just appreciate it on an aesthetic level. Yeah. Or on or an intuitive level, you know, you know, maybe intuitive level. Like maybe that's why Paris has so much power with, with the culture and love and all that. I mean, you go into Paris and you can feel that, that sacredness or, or I mean, maybe even Washington DC or London London has like, that's why that, you know, you must be able to feel the power in Washington. (laughs) I'm sure. You know, there's no planes flying over this motherfucker or nothing like that. Well, you know, uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, this Avenue of power that connects the U S Capitol with the white house. It's aligned to the heliacal rising of Sirius, which is what the ancient Egyptians built their calendar on. And so too is the Champs-Élysées in Paris. It's aligned to the same astronomical phenomenon. And, And, you know, that's no accident. These are avenues of power. It's the historical axis of Paris. It's this avenue of power in the United States. And they're aligned with the stars and with Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. So that alone just makes these cities, like, top-notch, you know? Yeah. And that's the exact thing you see that with the caves in Ireland, you know, what is it? I forget what they're called now, the Grange or whatever. New Grange. New Grange. And uh all these the pyramids. Yeah, that's amazing. New Grange. Yeah, it's uh, like we did a show on that. It's it's like the ancients knew that. It looks like, you know, Parisians were doing it when they're founding Paris, whenever that was. And George Washington and his buddies are doing it when they're when they're making stuff in Washington. So the 
I mean, Washington, all those guys were Masons. I don't know about the people that made, um, that made Paris. Maybe, I don't know if you know a little bit about that. I think they were, yeah, I think they were a Freemasons also. Um, I believe that is the case. And, and so they, they did this because they had this organization that had the, the, the will to encode that. But I think at the end of the day, they made some pretty amazing things. <laughs> yep. um, and you can say it's an evil conspiracy, but that's just a, your own take on it necessarily. I don't know if you're saying that, but. No, not, not really. No, no just I know not, some pretty not amazing Masons. Not necessarily evil, uh, evil, just that there's some kind of an reason and intention behind it it doesn't have to be evil or not it could just be you know like i think like I think you the, said but yeah. the, the thing that i i question is why we don't do that more yeah like, yeah why did why do we build like calgary and edmonton and places that just sprawl out los angeles you know yeah. without any container and we don't we don't apply geometry to it we don't make it special in any way we just let it happen yeah exactly. because we got we got we got we gotta build stuff. Well, we got just Nenshi and look at our city council. It's just a bunch of dweebs. And I'm not I don't even not trying to be I'm not trying to be a dick, but I mean they don't have any vision. They're just worried about making money so that they can get elected again, so that they can give their buddies all the good jobs. And maybe once in a while you get a good one in there and they build a couple of parks or some shit. But none of them are thinking big picture like that. Like, hey, let's let's none of them that's not even on their fucking radar. Unless they're a Mason, maybe it is. But then, you know, Masons well, are getting a bad Masons rap. Masons aren't all on the same page with that. Like, uh, at one point, um, I, I had a friend who was a 33rd degree Freemason, you know, and he, he wanted, he got me into this meeting where they were going to design a new lodge. And he wanted me to be the architect of it because he's seen my films and loves it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm open to that, you know. And so I met you know, video conference with the, the, the stakeholders and, and they're not interested in, in it really at all. They're, they're just interested in the, in the uh, economics of it, in, in the cheapest lodge they can build. And they already have a design that they've used before. So why would they want to change that? And so it was like, okay, well, it's not like everybody who's a Freemason is interested in these patterns at all. I think it's more of a, a business organization honestly yeah it's just that certain individuals who are in that organization may take an interest in the mysteries just like you guys are interested in the mysteries yeah but it doesn't mean that because you're a freemason that you're going to be interested in the mysteries that's not true at all it's just certain individuals for whatever reason seek that out and want to learn and educate themselves and i found that with my film secrets in plain sight that I, if I try to show someone it, if I try to like sit them down and watch this, chances are they're not going to want to see it. But if they come to it on their own accord, they may become huge fans of it and see it 10 times and just totally love it and get something out of it every time they watch it. So it's really just, you have to come to the knowledge yourself. Um, you have to want to know about the mysteries. And that means that you probably have already figured out how to survive in this world. Because if you haven't figured out that part, then that's what you're going to be consumed with. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's a luxury kind of intellectual product is yeah. like wondering about the mysteries of life. Um, mm -hmm. It's only that we can do that when we are fortunate to grow up in a 
culture where we where we're not worried about surviving as much you know yeah and we still yeah, can't and, build a pyramid so what does all, that tell you about the what, what kind of lifestyles they were living at that time right obviously they weren't hunting and gathering hunting they must Jesus have had Christ. it down you know they must have had it wired and they're like yeah you know we can survive but we want our lives to mean something life is, should be about meaning and significance and harmony with the universe rather than the accumulation of material goods or whatever it is that is the underlying meme of our age you know it's like at the end of your life you probably are going to look back on the meaningful aspects of your life the relationships that you've had and and if you want to make something that lasts for the future then you hopefully it's not just um a building that's going to be torn down in 15 years anyway yeah you know because that's what happens oh it's just hap it's happening now with the with the saddle dome it's massive concrete dome is what 30 40 years old and it's getting torn down i mean it's hard to believe that this is happening nowadays in this modern time that we can't even build something that's going to last more than a few decades. Like it's unbelievable. Absolutely. And like in Los Angeles where they have a little bit more history, maybe because there's been people there a little bit longer, they don't respect it. They just pave over older buildings and make a parking lot because of economics. Yeah. There's no reason to keep an old theater around really unless they can spin it in some economic way. Yeah. We don't, as a species, we don't tend to make the big monumental gestures very often. Yeah. And even if we have all the money in the world, we end up not doing that for some reason. Like, we, if we could build the Great Pyramid, why hasn't someone done that? Why hasn't some billionaire done it? You know? Yeah. We should do a Kickstarter. You want to, you have, we'll team up, we'll do a Kickstarter, we'll build a pyramid. There's a, there's a 30 by 30 one a couple hours down the road that people no, can no. do No, 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 no. We're building a fucking Giza replica. <laughs> yeah. Well, Luxor, Las Vegas, right? Yeah, there they you go. go. Yeah. Except the chambers won't be gender specific. Yeah. Well, we'll just, we'll, we'll make it without an economic purpose. Yeah. There you go. Just made of stone. What'd you do if it just starts shooting lasers out of the air vents? <laughs> vibrating and... That'd be something. So I wonder if there's some, is Sirius just the brightest star in the sky or do you think we're, because I've heard a lot of people say the whole Giza plateau is laid out to, uh, Orion, Orion or there's a bunch of these different, uh, things there's to the Pleiadians. Yeah. Yeah. Did you come across any aliens or home planets? It puts their spin on it. But, um, there's also a lot of good good information that's come out, and it's difficult sometimes to separate the uh, the factual information from the wild flights of fancy. You just have to use your own power of discernment to figure that out, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So I did have one overarching question for, with with the secrets in plain sight. Isis, the goddess, came up a lot. Like there was a lot of symbolism around the world and a lot of ties into Isis, whether it was about uh, North American uh, architecture or European architecture. And I thought, you know, is there a reason why Isis, the terrorist group, became Isis? I mean, I feel like they've co-opted co the sacred goddess name by this evil acronym. Like you can't really even talk about Isis. And you, you can... 
the goddess name has almost been washed clean of our society. I mean, I was in this yeah. little this little Egyptian spa in, in Calgary, and there's a room like the the rooms are named after ancient Egypt gods and stuff. And ISIS had to be removed off the thing and they had to rename the room. I mean, and and I I remember when when ISIS wouldn't stick for a while as the name. What, what did they? There was a couple of names that they were. They were calling it Isil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ISIL, ISIS, but oh. but then. Finally, with enough repetition, ISIS stuck, and now it's become co-opted. I mean, is, and I can't help but think there's a, a bit of a spiritual war going on, and that maybe ISIS is taken out of the. the I think the that's really a tragedy that 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 name was that acronym was chosen uh, for that organization because um, it's really polluted the whole spirit of it. Now it's like you can't talk about ISIS, as you said, and. And and people will have a bell ringing in the back of their head, like, "Are you talking about terrorism?" Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I'm talking about the, this beautiful goddess of nature. Yeah, actually, has nothing to do with terrorism. Is the opposite of that, actually. Let's take it. But back. that's a, but that's a way that they t- they they took that away from people that believed in that in a way. Like it's it's it's. And I don't mean they as in some you know amorphous group of elites, but I mean definitely the media. And definitely some people chose that. Yeah, it's, I don't know if it was just an accident because the name is catchy and it's a good marketing term. Yeah, I guess it could be. Yeah. Because everybody's heard that word. Yeah, yeah. But no one's heard ISIL. Like, what is is that? Yeah. It doesn't stick. Yeah. So, yeah, like, what's next? Are we going to call the next terror organization RA or... (laughs) We might Odin. Odin. Yeah. I mean, we should probably avoid, you know, reusing the same yeah name sacred sacred name for sure. Yeah, something completely different. It's like that's names should have a power that we respect. Yeah, and yeah. overwrite them exactly. with something completely different, especially when it's like the opposite. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was surprised at how much stuff was referencing ISIS in your show. I wonder, uh, you know, I was watching a video the other day, Sacred Geometry uh, International posted about, um, like, the pattern if you draw a line between Mercury and Venus and their orbits around the sun or Mercury and the Earth. I can't remember which it was, but it was a pretty incredible little pattern it drew there. I mean, it's, that Sacred Geometry is everywhere. There's a beautiful one I can think of with Venus and the Earth, and it forms a kind of five-petaled flower if you just follow the pattern out over a number of years. Super, super beautiful. Yeah. Um, you, uh, I was reading some of your blogs too, and you d- you did a trip around uh, around the UK at some point. I, I'm I can't I'm not sure when when that was, but I mean, I was really resonating with me. I, I did a drive around the UK as well, just driving randomly around looking for castles and like no, no real plan. And it really made me think, uh, I wish I had more reverence for, for the sacredness in the, and the scenery back then. I remember, I remember a valley driving through a valley with castles, like on close to Yorkshire, like south of Yorkshire and all that. But that must've been a pretty interesting trip for you after you've done all this research. Yeah, it was really fulfilling to go to these places that I'd never been to in my life, but I had covered in my sh- in my show in my video. Yeah, uh, like Stonehenge, for example, and Glastonbury Tor and Rosslyn Chapel and Newgrange in Ireland. 
Um, so I got to, you know, go to these places and meet people who I connected with, who were fans of my, of my secrets in plain sight. Oftentimes those were the fan, the fans were the people that would show me around the place <laughs> That's awesome. And, and, or interview me when I was there. It was really cool. And, uh, that really made it more enriching, you know, like I've always wanted to see these things. And then to have people who are like ready to show me is, is a bonus, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. I'm super lucky. Have you been, have you, are you going to do like a sequel? Are you, I did are, you volume are you two, done? You know, I, I, I did make one. Um, it, you can watch that still on uh, Gaia.com. They have both volumes one and two there. Um, but I used to sell it on my website, but I closed that my store down. Um, so it's not available on secrets in plain anymore, but um, I did make a sequel that was pretty cool. It went into other cities that I never it didn't cover in volume one, mm. including Babylon and Los Angeles. City Come angels. On. Yeah. I think those cities yeah. are technically supposed to be Mexican. Um, what was your like? Uh, I'm just watching. I got this video playing. It is it is Venus and Earth create art while they are turning around the sun. Yeah, that's a really beautiful pattern. One How many years does that take? I think it's eight years. Interesting. Would have been more yeah. interesting if it was 33. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not everything's 33. But. Yeah. But it's interesting when you see that, like in the, so it's not just stuff on earth. So you wonder if like, you know, these different Fibonacci sequences and stuff like that. Well, is that because of some weird force on earth that we don't know whether it's just gravity affecting it or just the way, you know, everything on earth could have evolved from some single organism a long time ago. So we could have all this sort of pattern built into us, but then you start seeing it like the way water moves out of stuff and you start seeing or cymatics it, like sand on you see this beautiful vibration. Yeah. You see this beautiful flower made by drawing a line between the earth and Venus and taking a, taking a snapshot every day. And it makes this insane picture and you play like Graham mentioned, you play the sound through the sand and you get these, these crazy designs. It's like, it's, it's something's up. I think when you're when you find those, you're you're uncovering the geometrical structure of our universe. You're yeah. noticing, like, how could it be that something so beautiful is underlying what should be randomness? Yeah. Right? Like Venus and Earth. Why do they have such a beautiful relationship to one another? And why does the moon and the earth also have another beautiful relationship that's that's captured in the golden ratio and in squaring the circle? You know, these, these activities that you can do with a compass and a straight edge perfectly describe the relationship with our planet and the moon, yeah. you know? And it's like, that, that seems so far-fetched that such a simple geometry would encode such a large-scale phenomenon, which we are told to believe is totally random. But there, it can't be random. There, it's too amazing that it just happens to fit this pattern so well yeah so do you ever um, think intelligent design yeah i mean i've thought about uh, about that concept a lot but um it's hard I not think, to right like yeah, it's hard not but, to go down that road sometimes you start seeing this shit and you're like jesus yeah but i think that that's un for me that, that that's not a good solution because it just leads into 
uh, belief in an other, that that God did it, you know. Um, I I I think that it's evidence of consciousness of some form. Now, whose consciousness that is is open to debate. So it can be your God or my God or somebody else's God, if you like, or it could just be the same consciousness that we all enjoy behind it all. You, you know? mean like the comet one that Alex Jones was talking about? I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, he's like, consciousness is like a comet and the tail is evil. <laughs> I don't agree with that. No, yeah, <laughs> it's that... pretty hard to agree with. <laughs> yeah. But he says it so convincingly. Yeah, I didn't get that part either. He's, well, his whole concept was that God was the comet, and God didn't know who God was because he couldn't remember. So he just like put himself in the survival of the fittest universe <laughs> and made all us somehow. And we're all, I mean, it does seem like we seem to be hive creatures of some sort, but uh, maybe not. Well, we're all connected, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you eat enough mushrooms, and it's hard not to realize that. I mean, I'm not, I haven't got there with meditation yet. Have you? That where you get with sometimes. meditation too, yeah, because sometimes. that's where you get when you eat a mitt full of mushrooms. And I'm sure there's a bunch of ancients that were doing that. You know, it seems like you're twitching over there, yeah. twitchy Jesus. Yeah, that could have been a route to this knowledge. In fact, is through uh, entheogens, is uh, you know getting this this information, and they could certainly could have done that in the distant past. Although, I question whether they could have gotten accurate data back from such an experience that's not usually the character of an experience like that it's not measuring things or no like that it's more like abstract concepts and stuff like that realizing yeah yeah, like like viscerally understanding the connection that you have with all things yeah that's right and i've had a lot of times too where i'll just make like something that you would think is a simple little realization but you know it wasn't that simple for you that's yeah. interesting. I just, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard not to, I mean, there's definitely something going on there with the, it's it's all just a bunch of fractals and I don't know, you know, like I catch myself going down. Of course, my intelligent design tends to bring me to a simulation more often than not. Sure. Yeah. A lot of uh, brilliant thinkers today are leaning that way of saying, uh, oh, it's all a simulation. But um, I, I feel that that argument collapses under its own weight ultimately, because if if this were a simulation running in a computer in the real world, what's to say that that computer couldn't be a simulation running on another computer in an even more real world? And then it, it goes on forever in a kind of infinite recursion. And so the argument should collapse under its own violation of Occam's razor to the highest degree. That's interesting. You know, sometimes I wonder if it's like, cause you look at, <clears throat> you look at the cell structure compared to, to how, a, how the universe looks or how a galaxy looks or how a solar system looks. And there's all these crazy correlations. And I wonder if it's like, if all the little cell, you know, people are probably hating that I'm saying this again on the show, but if all the little cells and microbes and all the shit that's running around inside me, you know, is it okay that it's just a little microbe and it doesn't think anything and it's just floating around and doing its thing? Or does it need to think it's getting up and going to work in the morning? And, you know, it, it, does it have its own simulation running that makes it all seem a little more worthwhile and we're just inside some bigger organism and 
you know? Yeah, it's a good question. Like it's, it's basically looking from the outside down on that or from inhabiting that structure and looking out from the inside. And so there are different experiences that we have. Like um, I've made a graphic that compares the road networks outside Paris with the human neurons and they look the same. Wow. And so you wonder, okay, well, the cars driving around the, the road networks obviously don't feel like they're part of a larger consciousness, right? Because they're, they're organized at the level of the individual in the truck driving on the road. But the neurons inside your brain, probably, if you ask, wherever you look, ask a neuron, what do you think? Are you part of this larger brain that's like conscious human thought? The neuron would say, no way. I'm just a neuron going on along my business here, getting, going from this axon to the dendrite. Leave me alone. You know, but, but when we look at, when we inhabit that structure from inside, we say, yeah, I feel conscious. I feel like I'm my own person. I have my own will. I, have, I can make my own decisions. And you have, you have this feeling of, of wholeness and, there. And I just wonder if, if a region or a city doesn't have its own le- level of emergent consciousness that actually exists at some, at some level. Yeah. You know, that's why like, you get shitty all, neighborhoods and stuff. Different cities and their characters are so different from one another. You know, it's yeah. like different people. When you meet a different person, it can be such a different feeling than another person. Yeah, it's similar to that, isn't it? When you go to Paris or DC, they're very different places. Yeah, I've never been out of out of a. I've been far. You go to yeah. Calgary. You go to yeah. Edmonton Toronto. sucks. They seem like different places, really, yeah. and different characters, different feeling. Yeah, definitely. It's similar to how we, we react when we meet other people, right? So I, I speculate about that. So what do you vote now? Have you, have you, have you uh, looked into any of the, the sort of anything sort of metaphysical? Like, are you into any of that sort of stuff? Like uh, intention and manifestation? Because it does seem to be a lot of, a lot of the, the stuff in, that we're into points to the fact that you can actually affect this motherfucker um you know do you do you have place for that in your paradigm or sure absolutely um intention is very important and how you how you come across i think that we are we are multi-dimensional beings and and we're just seeing a very narrow slice of reality through our eyes and through our regular consciousness like uh, i i'm learning i'm becoming a better c-sharp programmer okay and so the the little Scott who's learning it and thinks he knows it, um, you know, spends hours learning how to do this thing. But then when I sit down and actually code something, it comes out of some place I don't even understand because I'm not even thinking about it. It just happens. I just code it. I'm like, it works. I can't even believe it. The little Scott who sees that happening doesn't understand where it's coming from because it's coming from a deeper layer of my unconscious. You like. Um, it's just like um, when you learn to drive a car. There's a time when you really suck at it when you're a teenager and you're trying to learn and, and it's difficult and, and you struggle and finally you get it. But then after that, you never have to go through that struggle because it's part of your subconscious, yeah. yeah, subconscious or right brain. Yeah, we don't really have a good words to describe it, but it's it's showing you that there's a deeper there's a complexity there that we don't normally think of in, in our day-to-day discourse. 
that there's a there's a multi-layer to the onion you know that's happening there and yeah, i think yeah i think that's happening on many levels even ones we don't consciously understand you know so, yeah it's it's reaching that flow state and if you've done enough practice then it, it's not only that you can reach that state and connect to something i don't i don't know if i should say greater but connect to something like an antenna would connect to something or you open up some channel and if you've practiced it enough and it's subconscious, then you can, you can really enter that. Like you said, like you're playing that uh, or programming that C sharp or just even, you know, on a breakaway in hockey and not thinking about what you're doing and you just automatically do it because you've done it so many times and it just, and if you're in that flow state, it just happens automatically. So I think it's a combination of being present and, and practicing enough, putting the effort in and being present in a way for that type of thing. Well, for all of it, like, I mean, that's what I say about when people say that the the secret doesn't work or the law of attraction doesn't work. And it's the same thing. Well, you can't just fucking sit on your couch and wish you were rich. You got to practice and you got to, you got to put the work in and you have to do the action and you got to, you know, you got to do something other than go home and watch television all night and hope things change. Yeah. Have you, yeah. how's your worldview shifted since this has been 10 years since you sort of started this after that, that intuitive prompted you to, <laughs> to create a yeah. movie? I mean, how, has, how have you shifted over the last few, few years, the last 10 years? Uh, well, your... I think I went through a lot of stages of development. And my, I think my first stage was uh, believing there was a conspiracy yeah. to uncover and that was important, you know, to go through that. And I kind of came out the other side feeling sick, you know, having plumbed a lot of conspiracies in the world and read all about it. And, um, and then I, I realized that the patterns go beyond conspiracy. They go into the, in the cosmos. Yeah. And, and we talked about some of these things already yeah. today. Such that the conspiracy, if, the, if there is a conspiracy, it's deeper. It's beyond. And then it makes me question about the, even the, the, if there is a conspiracy. It, where, where, what level is that at, right? And it, it's made me wonder about humans. Maybe we're like, more like uh, mound-building termites, you know, where the individual termite brain, it just isn't big enough to hold the architectural plans for the termite mound, which includes air conditioning and farming and structural supports and all this amazing complexity these creatures make there there isn't like one termite who knows all that but somehow collectively as a species they coordinate all their efforts to maintain this beautiful structure so i wonder if if some of these patterns happen in in our built environment because as a species where there's like a species mind that's actually making these things happen that we as individual designers and engineers and architects aren't even aware of what we're doing. You know, that makes a lot of sense because I would tell you, you know, those guys, they had just found in America, things are looking great. Things are looking up. And, you know, nowadays it's just about making fucking money and, you know, fuck you, every man for himself. It would make sense that our cities are starting to get a little out of control and a little sprawly and a little ugly and, you know, but at the same time, you see some beautiful buildings coming out today, but, you know, it's kind of what they represent that 
that isn't the same as I, I picture the buildings like the Great Pyramid and things like that re- representing in their day. I think it's mind more you, about, the Aztecs were just fucking cutting out people's hearts. So who knows? <laughs> I think it's more about the, like what we talk about on the show with deeper synchronicities. When people come to us with these patterns and dates and times and numbers and and uh, kind of along the similar vein as what what you're doing too, Scott. And we always ask the question of whether it's intentional or whether it's this deeper cosmic conspiracy or, or cosmic synchronicity. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is it's, it's a bit of a patterns as a species. Like it's, it's, uh, it's like the way inventors invent the same thing in different areas of the world at the same time, or maybe, maybe some of these things uh, get yeah. created yeah. in different parts of the world, you know, we're connected. Yeah, I like that. That's like like the Newton and Leibniz both invented calculus in the same time. And why is that? You know, it's like there's a species mind who wanted calculus to come out and yeah. it could have come out of one of three or four different people. Yeah. And whoever it was, it didn't matter, but it came out because now now was the time for it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It makes you wonder what you could do with, you know, you when when you you know, if you could get you know, get your, you know, whoever, throw, fill in the blank with whether it's Wim Hof or Lynn McTaggart or or Graham Hancock or Nassim Harriman or, you know, get get like 10 or 12 of these like next level thinkers and uh, cram them all in like a room together and just like, I wonder, you know, if you, if, is there something to that? Is there something to getting the right humans in the right place that, I mean, obviously there's that when you go, when you go home to your kids or when you see your, your wife or your girlfriend or whatever, after not seeing them for a long time, there's a, there's a feeling. And it's like that thing that the relationship isn't me and it isn't you. There's or the relationship lives in that space between you. So, you know, you know, is there something there is there something That's a really good point you have with that because that could be like a mind at another level that like the 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 mind that exists between you and your partner or you two guys in the room you guys are partners in a sense and so you have a, another entity that exists which represents your friendship right yeah yeah that's what i'm really going into relationship stuff right now and it's like that that it is that it's like and it's you can get it in groups as well, but it's like you can start really breaking your life down into relationships, one-on-one relationships with other people. And you, you can kind of break them into hierarchies or whatever, but, and you start looking at those relationships and, and they're neither of you. They're, they're something different in that space between you. So can you yeah. times that by three or four or five and get, or 33 and, yeah. uh, and then create, you know, what are you creating then? Or yeah, do those people need to physically well, be there? You're, you're, you're getting at the, the deeper levels of reality there. You know, these, this multidimensional experience that we, that we have every, on every day level. Like when you have a relationship with someone, you think in terms of we. And that's, that's coming from that entity, right? It's not, I'm going to do this and you're going to do that. No, we're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any other um, stages after, you know, the starting out conspiracy, then patterns as a species, the species mind kind of thing? Was there another stage after that? Um, 
Yeah, the the deeper levels are then um, beyond the species mind, um, realizing that um, I am not my mind. Yeah. And, you know, that's a really profound thing that yeah. happened to me. It turns out about, I don't know, when I was 42. Uh, so I'm 48 now. And I realized that I'm not my mind after all this time. And that was a really profound realization. It mm -hmm. was akin to realizing I'm not my body. Mm -hmm. And you know, I realized I wasn't my body when I was a little kid because I was born without both of my legs and my right hand. And so I was, in a way, fortunate to see through that illusion right away. Most people don't see through that one until they're dying. Mm -hmm. But I, because I had that fortuitous experience of seeing through the illusion of my body, I assumed that I was my mind. And it took me so long to realize that I'm not my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm aware. I'm just consciousness. And my, the thoughts in my mind come and go. And it doesn't matter really what's running through the mind. It, it's just happening. But I'm the one that's aware of that. Yeah. Right? And so my identity shifted from identifying with what was happening in my mind. And I, and I used to have like, a lot of thoughts that would that would plague me that I couldn't stop from running, you know. Mm -hmm. Now my mind is very quiet, and it's active when I need it to be, you know, when I'm studying something, and I enjoy I enjoy that experience. Yeah, but yeah. I don't have I'm not plagued by runaway thoughts anymore, and I feel like that was a big realization that came from my all my work with secrets in plain sight and so on was to come to that realization that I am not my mind, that I'm actually consciousness. I am actually the same consciousness that you enjoy. But you have a different mind. You have a different contents of your history and of your yeah. upbringing and all the things you've ever thought. Yeah. And your body is different. And all those differences make you feel like you're a totally different person. But there's actually only one consciousness that's floating all the boats. Did, yeah. you, did you catch that through meditation or how, how was the, what was the actual, cause I remember that moment as well when I, it was probably for me, it was about 10 years ago, 10 or 11, almost 11 years ago now when I was doing mindfulness meditations and I separated my thoughts from my awareness and it was like, wow, this is a, that was the most powerful type of meditation for me. It was like, now I can actually rest in that space between thoughts or the more I, more I realized that the ink, the gap would increase between the thoughts and that would start to quiet my mind as well. So I remember that moment for myself. Like, well, I was lucky. I had a, um, a, just a friend I met on Cortez Island where I used to live, who was a longtime meditator. In fact, he used to run this whole retreat center where people would do silent meditation for, for months on end. And, uh, he just took it upon himself to educate me in all this stuff and to, to ask me questions and, yeah. and, and take me through it. Yeah. And so he kind of blew my mind away in a, in a sense. <laughs> yeah. And I realized that I'm not my mind, that, that I, in a way I'm a fictional character, but it's very real. I'm not denying the importance of reality. I'm just saying that I see through it. You know, it's a, it's a kind of fiction. Um, I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly how I feel when I, when I take a whack antigens, <laughs> you know, like it, it's, it's amazing that, and, and I haven't done some DMT yet. I'm gonna real soon, but like where you're talking about being able to separate your thoughts. I mean, that's what I'm excited about is like, 
I've heard all the people I've talked to, but you know, that's one of the experiences you start to be able to see your thoughts, take these geometric shapes and, and disconnect them from, from your, from your awareness. I mean, I'm not there yet, except when I eat a bunch of mushrooms. I mean, that's when I can start to notice the whole facade, you know, the whole facade, everything. But you know, the one thing that always shines through is, is love. And that I'd imagine that feels the same for everybody. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's the transcendental feeling of goodness and love is what underlies all of this diversity of, and complexity that we call the universe. It, it's who you really are, actually. Yeah. Do you, do you have a daily practice at all or uh, any kind of st- uh, regular kind of way to sustain that? I don't, I don't practice. I, um, I, what I practice at is just continuing to develop my mind and because in my business i need to teach people things yeah i always need to be learning and keeping up with the changing technology but i don't have a spiritual practice i feel like if you're trying to practice you're kind of missing the point Mm -hmm. because you'll never find it if you're always seeking (laughs) yeah there is no practice needed once you see who you are it's already over with yeah yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, I mean, but that's not. I don't want to diminish people's seeking people's. enjoyment of their of their activities, yeah. which they call their practice, yeah. and that's totally fine and good. Yeah, um, like if you have some activity that you enjoy doing, um, and it makes you feel calmer or whatever it does, then more power to you. I, I'm all for that. Yeah, or the seekers out there. Yeah, I feel like I, I did spend years seeking early on, you know, like looking into everything and frantically researching everything. And and now I feel like I've found it. And so I don't feel the impetus very often to go out and look for more stuff because mm-hmm. I feel like I've covered it. And if I found more examples, it wouldn't really add that much to what I've already found. It would, Yeah, it might be interesting, but it's not a burning urge that I once had of like, passionately wanting to know more and to understand everything yeah i feel like i've 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 done that personally and i don't i don't need to do more more of that that's why i kind of shut down secret my research with secrets in plain sight is i feel like i've i've really covered it yeah yeah wow what a great chat where do you what do you think is what's so can we yeah let's can we get into your sacred geometry stuff a little bit i mean you know we got are you gonna read we got a comment in the chat here that says this is some life-changing conversation and why have I never been taught thought of this in school? Thank goodness for America and Scott Onstad, of course. Yeah. Well, sacred geometry is really just geometry, but experienced for the beauty of it. And so it's, it's different than the geometry that you probably learned in school, which you might have bad memories of, maybe. Um, most likely. Most likely. But it's just exploring simple geometry, like learning how to draw a seven-pointed star or something. And just that process is a beautiful thing, actually, if you just give yourself space for it to do that, because you're interacting with the kind of foundation of reality, because that's how everything is built, is on geometry. So when when you interact with pure geometry like that, it's unlike anything I've found that can just take you right to that transcendent state and get you in that flow state. 
right? And more than anything I've found, there are other ways to do that, of course, but this is a beautiful one that doesn't require ingesting any chemicals, and it's something everybody can do, and it doesn't have very much baggage with it. What we just need to do is break through the blocks people might have about being afraid to draw because of what they were traumatized with in school. Mm-hmm. You know, but once you see how, how it's easy to do, you can, you can get there and do it. And then you, you naturally will experience this sacredness emerge out of this geometry. I mean, and it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. That drawing could be like a, a metaphor for like learning in school. You know, I really feel like, you know, look at the percentage of, of guys like yourself or Graham and I or the people, all of our listeners, I would consider on the same sort of journey, but we're a small percentage of the people that, that want to continue learning and chasing knowledge and, uh, you know, are, are, are always kind of chomping at the bit to, to, to increase our understanding of, of different things, whatever that may be, uh, physical, relational, personal, um, metaphysical, whatever it is, you know, there's still, it seems like it's got to be what 90, 90 plus percent of the population are just sort of, uh, trudging along or, or sort of just existing, I guess. I wonder, um, and if that's, it almost seems like school is doing that, you know, by design, it's like hammering that, that, you know, learning's supposed to be fun. And if you don't have to sit there and learn French all day, I mean, no offense to the French, there's way more cool stuff to learn. And and, and if we could teach kids that, you know, yeah. the, the world could it's be like a better learn, place. Learning should be its own reward because when you really get into it, it's it's a self-fulfilling pleasure that you, you just love to know more, right? Um. But to get someone to that point where they can just uptake new knowledge independently is very challenging because the system is geared against that, in fact. It's, it's designed to kind of deaden you, I think. Yeah, um, it does seem to be doing that by design in a bunch of different ways the more, the more, you, the more you look at it. And not, not only that, it seems to be you look at a lot of those things, and that's where I tend to like maybe – I can still get caught up in that conspiracy side of things where it's like, you know, you know, no one, and and I mean, on a simple example, it's like in the West, who teaches you that starting your own business is even really an option. You know, it's, it's find a good job, get, you know, that's not even really on the fucking table. And, and even above and beyond that, you look at what the, just the power of thought and the power of mindset and thinking and intention and all of those sort of things that you go back and look at some of these books that were written in the thirties and it's all over the place. And it's like, it's slowly being, being taken out of the, the culture for some reason, you know, is it because the, you know, you know, you can go to the Rockefellers or whatever the fuck, but it does well, seem way, like uh, the system needs to have people, graduate from high school or university knowing almost nothing because then they can enter the system at the bottom floor and that values all the people above them yeah yeah so the system is designed to output a person who knows nothing at the ground level but what if it what if it outputs someone who is way smarter than the people that are getting on this whole ladder then the whole system would be in turmoil 
because now you have these geniuses coming out who should be in charge of everything. Yeah. Or people without PhDs that are telling us our history that seem to be, you know, getting it right more often than the people with the PhDs that'll argue till they're blue in the face. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, you know, there's, so the education system is a mess at the, at the, and it's not even just the education system. It's like academia is a mess in its current state. I mean, science is to the highest bidder and. Well, you can bribe your way into these colleges to get brainwashed if you want. There we go. We start a Kickstarter. Hundred thousand dollars will get We're gonna you. We're going to get Grant. We'll get, we'll get Darren into college so he can <laughs> infiltrate the system. <laughs> I'm going to Harvard, baby. So, so what else about your course then? So you get these guys drawing. Now, is this in person or is this online? Um, this is online. Well, there are different things. I do a I do a thing in person in Ireland every year. Oh wow! We're doing it this fall in Ireland, just outside of Dublin, oh. and uh, it's a beautiful uh, place in the countryside. We go, and it's a weekend workshop there. So you can learn more about that at sacredgeometry.academy. It's my website. Okay. And um, I don't have a sign-up thing there yet, but I, my partner over there has just told me it's going to be coming in the next week or two. We're going to get dates, and then, uh, then it'll be up on the site, and you can sign up. Okay. Perfect. That's we got only a bunch for of 33 listeners. people, so there's only so much space, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we got uh, a whole UK posse that's not too far from. We got a bunch of listeners in Ireland, too, but we have a weird sort of bunch of listeners in the uk so we might be able to get some great americans down there i hope we can that'd be cool you know in past years we've had people from texas come and people from finland and uh, netherlands and uk um and a lot of people from ireland so uh it's cool how it draws just people from all over uh who want to make give themselves the luxury of a whole weekend to explore sacred geometry really you come out transformed and uplifted and everyone was just so happy at the end of each workshop oh that's it's, great, it's a great thing. that's great yeah. and so then i also have an online course that you can check out at my website scott.training and that's the sacred geometry course i offer there um and that has uh you know you watch the videos yourself you, you do the exercises yourself and then there's webinars where i come on and explain things and you can ask questions and stuff like that. So there's some interaction. Awesome. Are you on any social media or anything like that? I got rid of Facebook. Um, I feel good about that. I'm, I'm still on LinkedIn, but that's just for professional kind of reasons. But I, I don't, um, I don't know if it's generational, but I just don't feel the need to tell everybody what I had for dinner or what my, <laughs> what things look like. Uh, I just don't feel the need to to take selfies of myself when I go places and whatnot and share that with everybody. So uh, I'm kind of getting to be a curmudgeon, I guess, about social media. I don't, I don't like it. That's like Graham. He came yeah, in too. a curmudgeon. I'm forty. I'm forty nine, so it must be generational. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same. I'm forty eight, so we're the same basically. Yeah. I'm 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 smart enough to know better. But I mean, I'm trying to market a podcast here, yeah, so it's it's it's, it's, it's yeah. a tough. Yeah, I don't have a personal a account for that for business reasons, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we deleted a personal account. I deleted my personal account. You never had one, which just turned a whole fucking thing because then I couldn't make an ad when I wanted to make an ad for the event. I couldn't make an ad, and it was a whole yeah, it was a whole thing. But what are you going to do? Well, 
Uh, anything else we should get no, to? No, I think we this can... is great chat. Yeah. This is going to go down as an all-time favorite episode. I guarantee it. But oh, we've already you. got thank people saying that in the chats. It's really a, a nice talk we've had. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, we covered all, all gamuts here. And and you're you're just over there. I mean, hey, maybe we can bump into each other here down the road. Maybe Graham's always out on the out that way, going to check out Cloudhead games and stuff like that. And I think you're a bit of a gamer, so maybe we can do yeah. something together out there one day. That'd be great. Yeah, just just give me a shout if you're in my neck of the woods, and we'll get together. That'd be awesome. Yeah, same with you. If you're ever in Calgary, and come to the studio for sure. Okay, cool. All right. I've only been to Calgary like on a layover, you know, going oh, yeah. somewhere else. But uh, maybe if. Well, if you if have I a have long layover, we'll meet yeah, you at can, the airport. I can you know, put a little more time in Calgary. Yeah, right on. If you have yeah. a long layover, we'll come visit you, and we'll just do it on the digital recorder, or we'll just have lunch, or, yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks, man. All right. Yeah, right on, it's Scott. Been, it's been have a blast. Have a good night. Come back anytime. All right, take care. Okay, take care. And that was our chat with Scott Onstott. I think I'm going to have to start saying that from now on. What's that? Yeah, because, because I have to go over and well, turn it off. It wouldn't be so it. bad if I had a mouse. I just can't get the I can't get the fucking mouse to work. Mouth. In the... You have a mouse. I on have me. a mouse on me. That's for sure. I yeah. could, you know, send cash. I hope Scott was okay with the swear words. You're popping some f bombs today. That's all right. I was also they dropping some knowledge bombs. Yeah, yeah, that was good. That was a that was a blast. I mean, if people haven't seen this, honestly, like I watched the whole four hours of it. It was incredible. Oh yeah, you like, could. You it's three could. three hours forty five minutes, I think. Yeah, and there's all all kinds of synchronicities that you would just. And it's not like you, he's picking this number and matching this number and trying to make a connection. These are these are real connections. And there's a part two, which I'm gonna have to track down now yeah. on yeah. Gaia. Yeah, yeah. I kind of didn't really come across part two. I kind of saw that there was one out there, but I really just wanted to get the the meat of the big one, like the whole big one, uh, watched before the show for sure absolutely yeah it's a great video everyone should go check that out check out his sacred geometry stuff and uh check out america.ca slash support guys uh so we can keep having these sort of great fancy chats Un uninterrupted uninterrupted no corporate bullshit no sponsors no ads no except you guys you guys are sponsors so go to grandamerica.ca slash support the producers and sponsor the show i think there's a super chat too we got there? a super chat from suzanne sweet thanks suzanne, suzanne gave us 25 bucks sweet. for this episode so we got paid 25 bucks for this episode thank you suzanne of course that's not true we do have a bunch of supporters that do support at grandamerica.ca slash support um just enough just enough to cover all expenses and we're looking to do some growing. We've got some ideas of some things we'd like to do on the road. We'd like, I mean, to be perfectly honest, we've just got a list of interviewees that's so long we could be doing two or three shows a week. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we got to get there and, uh, and we can't get there without uh, a bunch more support. So head over to grammerica.ca slash support. Uh, all the options are in one place now on one page, Stripe, Patreon, all of it, one spot. And uh, do it. Leave a voicemail, 403-702-6083. Or a text. Or Graham, you can send in Graham an email too, G-R-A-H-A-M at GrahamAmerica.com. Yeah. And uh, check out everything in the newsletter, GrahamAmerica.ca slash news. And uh, chats. Chats. Check out the chats, GrahamAmerica.ca slash chats. are great. Chats. It's like a perpetual chat room in Discord. Uh, by the time this comes out, our chat, let's, our, 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 our getaway with Randall might be sold out, but it still had, was worth heading over. We just did, uh, we actually uh, ended up with a few more camp spots. 
Yeah. So uh, head over to badcomet.com. All the details are there. It's a, it's a, it's a basically chance to do a three day getaway. Also, oh, with Randall Carlson, okay. do a bunch of cool stuff there. Do some C setting with Graham. C five. Some live podcasting. Uh, some presentations. So we're just. It's going to be great. You're not going to want to miss it. You might have already missed it. I hope not. hope I didn't get your hopes up for nothing. Badcomet.com. Uh, other than that, I think that's about it. You got anything else? Uh, yep. All right. We don't even talk about the black budget, but we do. You know, well, we for, do the supporters, the we, for the supporters, we do have a separate feed of awesome content with some friends of ours and guests and just me and Darren sometimes reading shit. And uh, yeah, that's a good way uh, you get something, something besides just supporting us. You get that value as well. That's right. Fucking value. Any, any bursting support. out of the seams. I don't know if we need to say that, but any support, one-time donation or monthly, obviously we prefer the monthly recurring donation, and then you get access to that. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. I'm walking gingerly through the rat race. Take a look at the big old smile on my face. Kicking around down by the pool of narcissists The people are many, they preen themselves Oh how they navel gaze Somewhere over that hill the gloomy skies cease to exist I'm climbing that hill, I pass by and pity the poor Sisyphus I go into hyperdrive Turn into a beam of light I'm strolling down a static electric avenue The people are predictable They say good morning, how do you do? When out of nowhere a randomly pure angel in the crosswalk bumps into me And in doing so knocks all the evil and all the wind out of me And it's black as tar Ugly as ever, and of no apology. This angelic mama sings heavenly of the truest theology. Together we're a seraphim dream, forever young with no chronology. A thousand years from now, we'll be written into ancient mythology. We go into hyperdrive, turn into a beam of light. Can you tell me about the view up there? It's sparkling remarkably, the air is crystal clear. Well, please won't you tell me what it takes to transcend this place? A little bit of heart and a whole lot of soul. Take a look at the big old smile on my face. My angel says dance with me and your life will never ever ever be told I go into hyperdrive Turn into a beam of light 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 Turn into a beam of light
Wilhelm. Wilhelm.